Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With Getting Over's 2023 year in review for what may have been, and yes, we're saying this for the second straight year, the wildest 12-month span in professional wrestling history. And funny enough, just as we said at the start of last year's show, this is about way more than Vince McMahon, Roman Reigns, The Bloodline, and CM Punk. Funny how that works, huh? An absolute ton went down over the last 12 months, starting on January 1st, and we're going to take you all the way through the day of this taping, December 27th, as we break down everything that happened in the world of professional wrestling over the last year. Of course, we're going to be as comprehensive as we possibly can, but after dropping a two and a half hour show on your head last year, we're going to do our best to be a bit more expeditious today. So allow me, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, to kick things off as we always do here on Getting Over with a reminder that this podcast is all about So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King. Go back to being marks for vintage Chris Vanini and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast as a whole. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It is also where you can DM and tweet us questions and comments for the show that, of course, we will either answer on Twitter or read live on the air. And please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month, 50 for the entire year, you can become an official Getting Overhead just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, sign up, you get exclusive audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reactions to Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite. You also get exclusive news posts every single Friday. It's plenty of content, but you also get to financially support the continuation of getting over, and you can do it at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Chris, Welcome to our second annual Getting Over Year in Review episode. This is not something we've done since the start of the podcast. You know, 12 months ago, we pondered whether we would even be doing this show again this year because we had never done it previously, as I just said. And 2022 was just so wild. We thought we're never going to be able to match a year like this. So why should we, you know, put in the effort and do an entire year recap for a year in wrestling that perhaps won't be as newsworthy. And then five days into 2023, it was already apparent this would be a crazy year. And while I would say the news cycle has slowed down a bit, you know, as we get to the end of 2023, which was very similar to what happened at the end of 2022, it was once again wild for the first 10, 11 months of the year. And you've seen the basics of the rundown that I'm about to, you know, present as part of this show to everyone. A ton happened in 2023, so much that you actually forget some of those items that went down in January, February, March, April. Yeah, I mean, you you and I have spent more time 
on this podcast talking about things like that are not in storyline. Uh, just a lot of it. And, and we, you know, sometimes the, the main event of the show or the news segment that we've added to the start of the show will go very, very long because there's just so much to talk about. Some of it weaves into storylines. Some of it doesn't. I mean, look, uh, 2022, Vince McMahon left WWE. What was going to be bigger than that? Right. Well, in 2023, the company gets sold. So, like, you know, these things just keep going up and up. And uh, wrestling, like everything else, is is a year-round sport. It's not just WrestleMania season. There's always something going on. Right. There's no off-season. There's certainly a season where things slow down a little bit, but you're never actually off. It's similar to the NFL in that way. I mean, it's, it's certainly different from the NFL in that there's still action all year, and there's shows and premium live events and pay-per-views and stuff, you know, going on, you know, 52 weeks a year. But like the NFL, there's no offseason. There's never a time where you're sitting back and saying, nothing's happening. We don't have anything in the news cycle. We're good. That, that just isn't possible. And that actually leads into the way I want to start the show, because as I mentioned off the top, we taped last year's show. I think it was the same day, December 27th. Well, that left a few days in the year. So before we actually get to January 1st, 2023 and roll through this year, we have to go back and discuss the things that we missed to close 2022. So quickly, here's what happened after the 2022 year in review episode before 2023 began. So on December 28th, just moments after beating an AEW signed team in FTR for the AAA Tag Team Championship in Mexico, Dragon Lee grabs a mic and announces in the ring that he signed with WWE. He eventually would make his first uh, televised appearance in March. But the fact that that happened, certainly people were not thrilled about that. On the 30th, two days later, longtime TNA uh, Impact announcer Don West died. And that same day, there was an edition of SmackDown because it was a Friday. Minutes after Ronda Rousey put on what may have been the best match in this entire latest return to the ring that she had. It was against Raquel Rodriguez. Charlotte Flair randomly comes back to TV, challenges Rousey for the SmackDown Women's Championship, and then wins it in this immensely strange sequence of events that all occurred because Rousey wanted to move to the tag team division with Shayna Baszler on the road to WrestleMania. This was really not that dissimilar, Chris, from day one, the WWE Premium Live event in 2022, because this moment and it was the 30th instead of the first, but it kickstarted a chain of events that led to an outcome that was not ideal for fans. You're going to remember that acquiescing to Rousey here led to women's booking across both brands being screwed up all the way, not only into WrestleMania, but into SummerSlam because there were so many injuries, plans got diverted, and they were trying to acquiesce to Rousey wanting to work with Baszler, do this long program, team with her, win the titles, and then ultimately drop them and split up. But everything got screwed up because of this, because they had to change the title, they had to put it on Flair, and because Rousey had to be in the tag team division. Yeah, we were so confused by that moment at the time, and things only got weirder from there. To have Charlotte return and get a good pop, get a babyface reaction. She talked about that, like when I interviewed her a couple months later, about how rarely she has the opportunity to do that. But for it to come immediately winning the title again, it just kind of took all the air out of it. 
and it just kind of stumbled from there. Uh, one real quick, going back to Don West and TNA, uh, we didn't talk about that at the time. I don't think uh, on the pod. Oh, obviously, we don't talk a lot of TNA on here, and I didn't watch TNA much during his time, but he is the voice. I associate with that promotion. Absolutely. Like even, even now. And I saw there were a lot of good tributes at the time, a lot of good uh, super cuts and clips of of various things. And, uh, you know, he, he made a a major impact on that company. So I guess I wanted to uh, come back to him real quick. No, no, I'm glad you did. I didn't mean to skip over him by any means. Um, But yes, when you think of TNA and impact, you think of Don West, just like very much when you think of WCW, you think of Tony Schiavone. Now it's, you know, yeah. it's just, it's the voice that you hear, you know, and when you think of Attitude Era, you think of Jim Ross, it's very similar uh, in that regard. So no, that was certainly a huge loss. And that, and that was how 2022 ended. One other item, that same edition of SmackDown where that title change happened. This was a very highly rated show, despite it being on the 30th near a holiday, et cetera. But on that same year end SmackDown, John Cena returned just to make sure he had a match in the year 2022. He had that tag team match and ended up continuing his streak, and he obviously had a match in 2023 as well. So that streak is ongoing. So that was how we wrapped up 2022 from the news cycle. However, Chris, at the end of our 2022 year in review episode, you and I each gave three predictions for the forthcoming year for 2023. I thought it'd be a little bit of fun before we get into the 2023 year in review to go over those predictions and see where they stand as of now. And we do have a little bit of help from LA Knight, who's going to grade these predictions for us. So let's go back and forth. Okay. We'll go with one of yours, one of mine, and we'll go from there. Your first prediction was that Matt Cardona would return to WWE. No, no. That did not happen. Didn't even come close to happening as far as we can see. It did. It, it did not. Uh, Chelsea, I don't remember exactly when Chelsea Green came back, but she's there. And, and in 2020, actually, Matt. Matt Cardona did an uh, interview recently with Chris Van Vlay where he was kind of surprised that basically everybody who got fired uh, got a call back um, except him. But uh, he's still doing well, and I still think he'd be a great fit to come back. Uh, but, yep, I was wrong on that. Yeah, many did. I would love to see Cardona, like, just in the Royal Rumble. Just come back, do it, see what kind of pop he gets. And then if you want to sign him, sign him. But I think that'd be cool for him, his brand, and it would be cool for WWE as well. My first uh, prediction was that AEW would add a at least a sixth pay-per-view going bi-monthly in 2023. And for the first half of the year, that looked wrong. But I'm going to go ahead and give myself... Because not only did they add a sixth, they added a seventh, eighth, I mean, maybe ninth. I didn't actually count before I did the show, but they added so many that, I mean, at one point, I think they had three inside of 45 days and four inside of 60 days. Like, it was ridiculous, almost, at the end of the year, how many pay-per-views they've added. And I don't think that's sustainable. Now, if you spread them out over the course of a year, sure. Right. But what they did from, I, I want to say like September onward, they can't repeat that. And if they do, I mean, I, I just can't imagine people continuing to buy that many pay-per-views at $50 in such a short period of time every single year. Yeah, and I, I I didn't watch all of them, partially because of that, partially because it was during football season. So yeah, right. spread those things out more. Your next prediction was that 2023 would be Ronda Rousey's final year in WWE. Yeah. And you definitely got that one right because she has 
let her contract expire and she is no longer with the company. And and remember, this was before the tag, the losing the 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 title that we just said. So at the time, right, I correct. said this, she was yeah. she was the champion. So uh, yeah, it just for whatever reason was not working in WWE. Coincidentally, I was at her last match uh, in WWE SummerSlam against Shayna Baszler. She did make an appearance uh, later. We'll we'll get to that in the year mm-hmm. review. Maybe she comes back again down the road or, or something. Sure, but uh, but yeah, no, I I, I at the moment. The prediction is true. Well, I think it's true no matter what, because you were saying basically like as of this contract, she will at some point leave WWE and that yeah. she has left. And I think that's the key to the, the prediction, which makes it correct. My second prediction was that Stone Cold Steve Austin would wrestle a second year in a row. No, 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 that just has not happened. Uh, he hasn't gotten back on WWE TV, I don't think, in 2023. So not only not wrestling, yeah. didn't show up. Yeah, that was interesting because, you know, he had the big 2022 WrestleMania moment and uh, was a lot better than we all expected. And uh, there was talks of him and Roman Reigns at some point. But uh, no, doesn't seem like it's happening. And frankly, I don't don't think it needs to. For sure. And your third prediction was that The Rock would appear but not wrestle a match at WrestleMania. So I'm going to give you half credit because you were specifically thinking about WrestleMania when you made the prediction. But The Rock did appear. And he did not wrestle a match. It just happened to be on a SmackDown in Denver, Colorado, way after WrestleMania. Yeah, and and we'll get into again. We'll get into The Rock later in this too. But uh, that was the big thing. L.A. Everybody thought Rock was going to show up. Maybe mm-hmm. he'll show up at the end of the Cody match or something, or, or do something, or wrestle Roman Reigns. Was was talked for a while, and nope. And again, similarly, I don't think they need to. And my last prediction was that WWE, because the TV rights contracts were up or, or, you know, being negotiated, you know, into the start of 2023, I said they would remain with NBC, USA Network and Fox on separate deals, and they would not go all in with NBC. So I'm giving myself half credit, just like I gave you half credit. They are remaining with NBC Universal. Uh, Obviously, they signed SmackDown to that deal. We don't yet know what's going to happen with Raw. It's pretty clear they're not going to be with Fox, which is why I'm only giving myself half credit. But we don't know whether or not they're going to go all in with NBC. We're probably not going to know that until 2024. So again, half credit for me, half credit for you. We each went one, one, and one, I would say, on our three predictions, which not that bad. I thought they were reasonable predictions, but we tried to go out on a limb just a little bit, and it paid off in that manner. Yes, and we'll have uh, our 2024 predictions uh, at the end of this. We will. We have a ton to get to on today's show. Before, though, we get to that, allow me to remind you that Getting Over is up for Best Wrestling Podcast in the 2023 Sports Podcast Awards, and we need your support. All of you are getting overheads because it is a fan vote award. We have links in our Twitter timeline, and we'll certainly tweet another one out uh, before the end of the week. But please visit that URL, vote for Getting Over as your favorite wrestling podcast. You know, do awards matter? Not really at the end of the day. Is it nice to be recognized? Absolutely. And if we can say that we were the best wrestling podcast in 2023, it certainly can't help. So as noted, we would appreciate all of your support. Please vote for Getting Over as part of the sports podcast awards for best wrestling podcast. Voting is open until the end of January. And if you just want a URL, you're sitting at your computer, you're like, I'll just do it now. I don't want to go to Twitter. Sports podcast group. 
wrestlingpodcast.com. That's where you go to vote on the awards. Again, getting over best wrestling podcast 2023. We would greatly appreciate it. So Chris, with that all said, let's officially get into the 2023 year in review. And there's really nowhere else to start when you do a year in review, but January 1st. On January 1st, WWE lent Shinsuke Nakamura out to pro wrestling Noah to fight the Great Muda on his retirement tour. This wasn't quite WWE opening the forbidden door, but it's actually interesting given something that happened just this past week, which I guess we're going to get to in like a couple hours by the time we get there. (laughs) On the 2nd of January, WWE had its first show of the year, which was an episode of Raw. The first match of the year for WWE was Bianca Belair and Alexa Bliss, and they began it using a sequence from Scary Movie 3. And I just remember that being such a big deal on Twitter that I wanted to mention it here. But it's also notable because that was the first wrestling action of the entire year that WWE gave us. And they went ahead and did a homage uh, to Scary Movie 3. But the big headline at the start of the year came on January 4th because Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay put on what still today, as we tape this show, is arguably the match of the year just four days into 2023 at New Japan Wrestle Kingdom 17. They then teamed up the next night at New Year's Dash. And that Wrestle Kingdom show, Chris, it featured contracted WWE and AEW wrestlers on the same program. It also had Mercedes Monet make her debut for New Japan, her first appearance outside of WWE since walking out a year prior. And it also included FTR losing the third of its triple crown set of tag team titles, which was such a big deal as their gimmick in 2022. Yeah, the thing that stuck out to me about that Wrestle Kingdom show as someone who doesn't follow NJPW that much was Mercedes Monet. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was a huge, huge deal for her to be back in the ring for the first time. The new hair, uh, all that um, kind of stuff. I guess that wasn't the first time. I guess she didn't. I don't remember if that was the first or second or whatever, but that was the like, oh, this is real. Because I think, you know, when Sasha and Naomi had walked out, everybody thought, they'd eventually make up and talk about it. Triple H had said something in an interview with Ariel Hawani at some point, and we all kind of thought they would just eventually everybody would come together and they'd work it out. And then no Mercedes money is out there wrestling for NJPW. Mm-hmm. And she had a little behind the scenes video as well. Uh, she her her people produced, I think Kenny Omega made an appearance there and FTR. And I was like, oh, man, kind of like the world's colliding type of thing. So uh, that was a big moment. Her appearance actually did not go that smoothly, if you remember. Like they had like the botched new finisher move that she did. Yeah. I think it was with Kyrie Sane, who had won the inaugural NJPW uh, Women's Championship. I think it was on that show. I may be messing that up slightly, uh, but that didn't necessarily go as well. The, the music was kind of weird. People weren't sure how to say her name. Is it Mercedes yeah. Money? Is it Monet? Like, where's the accent go? Is there a Y? Like, it was this whole thing. And But at the end of the day, Sasha Banks, quote unquote, Mercedes, uh, was back in wrestling, and people were extremely excited to see what she was going to do in Japan and so on. But again, the headline, and that I know, understand that's a bigger headline, maybe in the United States, uh, and maybe to even our listeners to a degree. But the headline for me was Kenny Omega and Will Osprey, which we're going to have uh, the Getting Over Awards, and, and we'll promote those a little bit later in the show. Those are coming up. Um, but I got to tell you, I, I saw this match, and I said, I don't know 
that anything will top this in 2023. And just being candid, you know, I'm not trying to tip the vote or anything. I'm not sure anything did. It, it was that incredible. And if you have not seen Kenny Omega, Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom 17, and especially if you did see them wrestle at AEW and JPW Forbidden Door, you need to go seek out this match from Wrestle Kingdom 17 before the year is out. I promise you will not regret it. That's the best thing I can say. Also on that January 4th, William Regal returned to WWE as the vice president of talent development. This was not really publicized and he still actually has not appeared on WWE television. There was a period of time where he agreed uh, with AEW and Tony Khan not to appear basically for 12 months after he departed AEW, whatever his exit date was. That I believe has now passed, but he still hasn't made an appearance. I guess WWE hasn't had much of a reason for him to make an appearance, but he has been with the company for nearly an entire year at this point. The huge news, Chris, of the month of January in 2023 came on the 5th when Vince McMahon issued a press release in which he states his intention to return to WWE and seek a sale of his company. This came six months after being quote unquote retired. Within 24 hours, McMahon was back on the board of directors. Five board members had been removed or resigned. It was so crazy that stock trading actually halted. Within five days, Stephanie McMahon resigned as co-CEO, leaving Nick Khan as the lone CEO of the company. And Vince was unanimously elected executive chairman of the WWE Board of Directors. At that time, there were rumors that Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, which is what pays WWE for its events that it airs there annually, the crown jewel and anything else that they actually have. The rumor was that the PIF was going to buy WWE outright. And this came up, I believe it was like on a Tuesday night and rumors were running rampant on Twitter. Of course, it's wrestling journalism and people were running with unsubstantiated shit and people were worked into a frenzy. We were planning an instant reaction podcast and the next morning we wake up and pretty much all of it gets discredited. This was the first of few happenings early in the year, Chris, where I remember feeling like WWE was rolling along really well and we were super enthusiastic about what we were getting on the screen from Paul Levesque, Triple H, and we were optimistic that this beautiful life that we were <laughs> existing in would continue unabated. But this was one of many times in the year where all of a sudden it felt like a wave of depression came over me. Like you're feeling so good, you're being so positive and optimistic. Here, we're gonna go shit on you. First was Vince returning. And that was when it came to the product changing for the worse. And then with the Saudi sale rumors, and, and you need to remember all of you, I come from the sports world and I work extensively in golf. So I had been dealing with the PIF and its ownership of Live Golf, which is a competitor to the PGA Tour, for like a year at this point. But when those rumors popped up with Saudi interest or plans or they were finalizing an agreement actually is what the rumor was to buy WWE outright, I seriously thought for a minute that might be the beginning of the end of caring about WWE. I just remember those feelings so 
vividly those waves of depression crashing onto and eliminating the waves or existence of joy that I was feeling, that we were feeling, being so positive about the product. It was something WWE had to fight through and they had to fight through it as at the start of the road to WrestleMania. And they had to fight through it, not just here, but later in the year as well. Yeah, I mean, Vince coming back, that was like panic mode for a lot of reasons. One, we thought, oh, he's going to take over again, lower on the totem pole of what's important. But everybody thought, oh, Vince is going to take over creative again from Triple H. And this product we've enjoyed for six months is going to go away. But it was also the first moment I really thought a sale was happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, it had been talked about, rumored forever, but everybody would always say like, Vince is going to die, you know, running this company. It's just it's just nobody could ever see him giving up. And then for him to basically say, I'm coming back and I'm selling the company. That was like, whoa, where did this come from? Then the Saudi Arabia rumor comes up. And yes, it was not substantiated, but it it, it theoretically made sense. It did. You know, for, for, for the reasons that you said, why would Vince charge back in uh, now uh, to, to do this? Unless he had a buyer ready to go. Like it was almost like he had negotiated the sale without being empowered to do so. And then was like, you know what? I'm going to force my way back in and I already have a seller. So we're just going to go with it. That was the expectation. That was the the assumption. That was a concern. And yes, I had the same like, man, if they get sold, if WWE gets sold to Saudi Arabia, I I don't know if I can do this anymore. Right. Um, Obviously didn't end up happening, but that was a very strange couple of days. Yeah, that that 5-day span, 6-day span of Vince McMahon returning, everything changing. It was just absolute chaos and it was to the point where you wondered, okay, even if they don't sell to Saudi, how is the company going to recover from this chaotic mess that has been caused by Vince forcing his way back into his company? I mean, he was the leading shareholder, right? He had the majority of shares and voting power. So, voting shares is really what I mean to say. So, He could do whatever he wanted. And rumors came out that, and this was end of 2022 in December, that Vince felt like those who advised him to retire overreacted and and rushed him to a decision. And so there was like a a percolation. I don't even know if that's a real word, that this might possibly happen. And then boom, five days into the year, it happens. And And that's what I was saying earlier, where, you know, we ended 2022 thinking there's no way 2023 can be anywhere near as crazy. And five days into the year, you have Vince McMahon returning. And 10 days into the year, you have him completely taking over as executive chairman and WWE in rumors, again, unsubstantiated and ultimately false, that they were going to sell to Saudi Arabia. This is 10 days into the year. And it was at that moment, I'm like, well, we're doing a 2023 year in review. There's going to be no stopping it. And plenty else happened as the year transpired, which we're going to continue with right now. So the next day on the 11th, Adam Cole returned to AEW after spending more than six months sidelined with post-concussion symptoms. He also, on that show, delivered one of the best promos of the entire year. If we did an award for individual promos, this one would have been a nominee. I remember that being a rousing moment in AEW, and my thought was, well, clearly this is going to be their big baby face for 2023, and sooner than later, this guy is going to be AEW champion. And for numerous reasons, which we'll talk about as we continue here, Chris, that never transpired. Yeah, no, it was big to have him back. Um, 
like he's he was clearly somebody they wanted to build the company around and uh great promo to start the year and it felt like he was going to be the guy for AEW in 2023. Yeah, it did feel that way, no question about it. On the 17th, uh Jay Briscoe died in a car accident and AEW honored him both that week and then on the 25th with a special show. There was some controversy his brother initially was not allowed to appear due to some issues that Warner Brothers Discovery had. Ultimately, they worked it out. Mark was able to get on TV. And he's actually been a featured player for AEW ever since. But Jay's death in that moment, and and you know, there's a lot, unfortunately, of these that we'll be discussing on the show. And we don't want to spend, obviously, too much time on them individually because um, it's the collective that that's truly just immensely depressing. I hate to use that word depressing on a year in review show that is supposed to be joyous. Um, but Jay made a huge mark on the industry, left a huge mark on fans and wrestlers and um, those that worked with him in AEW and Ring of Honor as well. And it was certainly, it continued an extremely, I would say, rough string of news to kind of kick off the year again. We had Don West right at the end of 2022 and then Jay Briscoe 17 days into 2023. So two days later, uh, Vince McMahon reaches a multi-million dollar legal settlement with Rita Chatterton over her long-standing rape allegations dating back to 1986. I think her lawyers had found a way to relitigate it all this time later. I forget the specifics of it, but she was seeking nearly $12 million, ultimately settled for less, and McMahon did maintain his denial through his lawyer as part of that agreement. A few days later, we had Raw is triple X, Raw is 30. Uh, this had an incredible opening hour that included the trial of Sami Zayn, the Undertaker and Bray Wyatt moment, which is even more infamous now than it was then. And it was here, Chris, where I started coming around to thinking, all right, the Royal Rumbles this weekend, I think WWE might be okay. After two really rough weeks, things picked back up, momentum picked back up ahead of the Royal Rumble. I tell you what stuck out to me about that Undertaker Bray Wyatt moment. Not just that, you know, they kind of had a, a brief uh, off mic chat there. But if you remember that segment, the man who did most of the talking was L.A. Knight. Who, yeah! to this point, <laughs> who to this point had done pretty much like nothing of note on the main roster. Right. And I remember thinking like that that's a test right there. That's a that's a big like, hey, he carried this. Uh, on the mic moment. This is a guy who maybe should be getting some more mic time because he was going through his Bray Wyatt feud at the time, the Mountain Dew match. And that was a moment where I think, hey, LA Knight, this big giant moment, and LA Knight's the guy doing most of the talking. I, I've i always thought there was something here, but maybe WWE thinks there might be something here too. Yeah, you're 100% right. To put him in that spot with Bray Wyatt and The Undertaker, it wasn't just, they weren't just doing it because they were feuding. It was like, there is something here that might actually work. You don't put someone in the ring with The Undertaker. And we saw this later when Undertaker went down to NXT, spoiler alert, uh, where you don't put someone in the ring with him unless you truly believe in, in that person. And they believed in LA Knight in this moment, no question about it. It's the first inkling that we got where they actually potentially believed in LA Knight. So a few days later, we had the Royal Rumble on the 28th of January. Now, obviously a lot happened at the Royal Rumble. Cody Rhodes and Rhea Ripley emerged as the right winners Ripley, the second youngest Rumble winner in history and one of four ever, male or female, to go wire to wire. Asuka returned as the psycho clown version of her character. Piper Niven returned 
as Piper Niven, which was huge in the moment. Chelsea Green, as you mentioned a little bit ago, made her return to WWE. Nia Jax also returned at the time to everyone's dismay. And she returned in the moment. She was not apparently re-signed to the company. At least I don't believe that was the case. We never saw her again after that for an extended period of time, at least. Also on the Royal Rumble, Chris, we had the single worst musical performance in WWE history, Hardy. Uh, Sami Zayn then turned on Roman Reigns in the main event, which was potentially the apex of the greatest wrestling storyline of all time and one of the greatest ends to a pay-per-view in WWE history. It was just a thunderous pop, and we don't have an award in the 2023 Getting Over Awards for biggest pop of the year, but I think if we did, this would have been it. Yeah, that that was one of those moments I yelled out loud watching things on TV. He did it. The crowd reaction was enormous. Um, I don't think commentary even said anything. No, they let it play out. Yeah, they let it play out. The acting from everybody was fantastic. The camera work when Roman goes down to the canvas and the camera's looking up at him with Sammy behind him. Mm -hmm. Jay's upset. Jimmy super kicks him. They beat up Kevin Owens and Sammy Zayn and leave them there. Just incredible imagery, and that was that was I think the moment where a lot of us started saying this is cinema, right? You know, that old running joke. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible finish. Uh, the the Royal Rumble, Rhea Ripley was the right winner for all the obvious reasons. Cody Rhodes, we were it was like not a big fan of how that played out for him to for them to basically announce that he was going to be in the Rumble on like a like it was like a vignette or a right interview or they did something. they did a series they did a series of video packages about cody's rehabilitation from his torn pectoral. yeah and you it need to remember the, this was his return to the ring so cody this, actually yeah. is a comeback wrestler of the year nominee because he literally came back at the start of 2023 after a serious injury and they at the end of the vignettes it's I'm going to be in the Royal Rumble. So they gave right. away that spoiler, even though we all knew, but like they gave it away like that. And then he comes in at number 30, which is like, right. If you, if you've announced you're coming back, don't come in at number 30. <laughs> like that, 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 that's not a, that's not a, first of all, it's not really a baby face type of thing. So it's just like, Oh, here it is. Like we didn't get the big, Oh my God, Cody's back moment because of the way they handled it. But they let the final segment of that Royal Rumble go on for a long time mm-hmm. between Cody and Gunther. So when Cody did win it, it felt like he earned it and then yes. he went through a tough challenge to earn it. So they finished the Rumble pretty well. Yeah, he accomplished something by beating Gunther, by throwing him over the top rope and winning. You need to remember Gunther opened that. Number one is we went all the way wire to wire, but didn't win. Rhea Ripley went wire to wire and did win. But Gunther was in there for a, like an hour 10 minutes or so, maybe more. Sheamus was number two in that Royal Rumble. He was in there for 50 minutes. So they started us with Gunther and Sheamus. And then they brought in McIntyre. He was in there for 40 minutes. They brought in Rollins. He was in there for 40 minutes. If memory serves me, Dominic Mysterio had a really long run. And then, yeah, Cody came in last. You know, a lot of people were already eliminated. And he had, I think, a good 10 minutes or so. I think it was one-on-one with Gunther at the very end. It may have been less, may have been five or six minutes, but it was a great end. The, the point of the men's Royal Rumble and really the women's as well, but the men's was eons better than it was in 2022, which may have been the worst yes. Royal Rumble 
of all time, if if you remember that. Um, yeah. The biggest issue I had, I think, with this Royal Rumble is that if you remember, I think Dominic, maybe, or I forget who, attacked Rey Mysterio, and he never entered the ring, and they never replaced yeah. him. So there were only actually 29 yeah. entrants in this Royal Rumble, which made it interesting to me. But Cody, obviously was the right winner, got a huge response. I did forget to mention uh, Pat McAfee returned to commentary, but Michael Cole was legitimately not informed. So the show starts, McAfee comes out, and Cole loses his shit. And it was in that moment where, Chris, I you know, I said, hey, you know, feeling depressed, worried about what this was going to be. We remembered Royal Rumble 2022 as I think some people thought it was the worst show of the year or one of the worst shows of the year. It may have been the 0.0 moment of the year, if memory serves, the match or the show, I forget. Um, but when that happened and Cole flipped out, you were like, okay, Trips has the book. We're going to be okay. I remember thinking that. Also, we thought that would be Pat McAfee's return to commentary because we did. the college football season was over. And, and the expectation was that he would come back. And that turned out to not be the case. Indeed. Now, I do think that's enough on the Royal Rumble. So let's go ahead and wrap up January on the 30th, the Raw after the Rumble. Carmella and Rick Boogs return to Raw, only to basically never be seen again for completely different reasons. They were both on TV after this, but not for much longer is the point I'm trying to make. And then on the 31st, Kota Ibushi finally departed New Japan after tons of acrimony and injuries. He would ultimately return to the ring WrestleMania weekend for the first time in, I think, over a year, if memory serves. But he did leave New Japan here in a parting of ways that was certainly uh, shook things up, I guess is probably the best way to put it. So February began with that insane Bloomberg Business Week cover story on Tony Khan and AEW. And that uh, graphic of Tony is still memed all the way today at the end of 2023. Also, on the 2nd of February, uh, the genius Lanny Pofo, uh, R- Macho Man Randy Savage's brother, uh, he died on the 2nd. On the 6th of February, Lita returned to WWE on Raw. On the 7th, the very next day, Jerry the King Lawler was rushed to the hospital. He ultimately recovered. And later that night during NXT, Ilya Dragunov and Miko Satomura made their debuts on NXT in the United States with Dragunov moving to the United States and becoming a full-timer on that brand. The next week, February 13th, Chris, was the moment where it became crystal clear and totally apparent that Cody Rhodes and Sami Zayn could coexist as super over babyface challengers to Roman Reigns and the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. I believe it was on a Raw in Brooklyn, where they put them both in the ring and they had a promo segment confrontation that probably would have been a finalist for one of the best promo segments of the entire year. Everyone was so worried. There was so much conjecture. We discussed it briefly on the podcast that fans are going to turn on Cody because they love Sammy so freaking much. Instead, they were both in the ring together on Raw and got immense cheers, crazy pops. They teamed up. They supported each other. I believe Cody said something along the lines of, look, yeah, I'd love to beat Roman Reigns, but I just want to be WWE champion. And if I have to face you at WrestleMania, that's even better. So go beat him. I think it was something along those lines. Uh, It was a great segment. It was the go home raw 
to Elimination Chamber, which was in Montreal, uh, Quebec, Canada, of course. And, you know, it also maybe, Chris, was the genesis of what we saw throughout 2023, which was WWE time and again, person after person, creating more and more insanely over baby faces. Cody, Sammy, LA Knight, eventually, Jey Uso, eventually, we could keep going. But it really kind of started here where maybe WWE learned, but definitely the fans began to accept that this is not the WWE of old under Vince McMahon, you know, full creative control, where only one person can be popular at a time and only that person can win and so on and so forth. Triple H figured out a way to get both these guys immensely over and it paid off substantially, not just here, but through the duration of 2023. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because coming out of that rumble, everybody online was saying, how can you have Cody be the guy to beat Roman? It has to be Sami Zayn. Mm -hmm. Look at how the Royal Rumble ended. That's the better story. And we were right. We were only used to one guy at the top getting the attention. And Cody in this month from the Rumble up to Elimination Chamber proved that he that he had a ton of support behind him, that he was crazy over, that he still can be the guy to beat Roman, even as Sammy does his own thing. And you're right. This set the stage for the rest of the year that just because someone didn't beat Roman Reigns didn't mean that they weren't over anymore and that a lot of baby faces could sustain at the top of the card. And we end 2023 with with arguably the most over roster we've had in more than a decade. Yeah. And let's just move right there to WWE in Montreal because they had SmackDown on the 17th and Elimination Chamber the next night on the 18th. Sami Zayn got two of the biggest entrance pops I can ever remember and maybe only rivaled Chris by the fact that, you know, CM Punk returned after, you know, whatever it was, seven, eight years off at AEW a couple of years ago, and then eventually at WWE at the end of 2023. But these responses that he got in Montreal during SmackDown and then his entrance to Elimination Chamber, and I think people actually forget what that response was because it wasn't just during his entrance. It wasn't just just while the ring announcer, and I forget if it was Samantha Irvin or, or Mike Rome, um, probably Mike Rome since it was, oh no, probably Samantha Irvin since it was SmackDown at the time. But when they were doing the ring announcing before the match, I think what I think people forget is after the bell rang, how long the fans were cheering for Sammy and booing and chanting against Roman Reigns. And then not only are the fans going absolutely wild for them at the start of the match, they go ahead and put on an absolute freaking banger that is definitely a finalist for match of the year, despite the finish not being what many fans wanted. This, you know, you could make an argument. There's so much crazy stuff that happened. WrestleMania was incredible. WWE had some great moments later in the year. I don't know that anything gave me as a fan the chills other than this in 2023. It was everything you watch pro wrestling for to, to get someone in their hometown to get a crowd like that. Like, again, I always say, like, I don't watch wrestling for the moves. You know, I watch wrestling for the moments as mm -hmm. corny as it is. And I know WWE likes to promote that. It is the thing that we remember 
and the thing you build to and tell the story to. And they told the story over seven, eight months or whatever it is to get Sami Zayn to this moment, even if it wasn't the plan originally. The crowd just got behind it because Sami Zayn did such a great job. And you put Sami Zayn in Montreal up there with CM Punk in Chicago, up there with Bad Bunny in Puerto Rico, up there with the Road Warriors in Chicago, mm-hmm. like all those types of things. Uh, it put Montreal back on the map as a place WWE, I think, is going to go back to more often. And it was it was as much as you could to define as a moment as you could get in 2023. Yeah. If you were going to put a singular moment up to represent wrestling in 2023, it might have been that. I think that's probably the way yeah. to put it. Yeah. Uh, also on this Elimination Chamber show, Michael Cole shaded Tony Khan a little bit with an Ariel Helwani reference. Uh, Beth Phoenix returned to the ring in the mixed tag team match with Edge. I believe it was against Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley. Asuka made history as the first woman to win the Royal Rumble, Money in the Bank, and Elimination Chamber. And we also got the return of Logan Paul, who cost Seth Rollins in Elimination Chamber. It was an incredible match. Many people thought the finish was weak because of Logan running in when the door was open and there was some, uh, I think it was, what was it, Montez Ford, right, was involved in this match. And there was like some of the stuff he did at the end didn't necessarily make all the sense in the world, but still, that chamber match was outstanding. The women's was great. And this premium live event, Elimination Chamber, I think it was so good that we wondered, is WrestleMania actually going to be better than this? Right. Because again, it was coming out of that and everybody was mad that Sami Zayn lost. And you're thinking, can Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns get anywhere near this level of heat uh, on top of everything else that happened on the show? And it, it, it was a good problem to have, to have a good rumble, a good elimination chamber. And that's setting the expectations high for WrestleMania. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about building momentum on the road to WrestleMania, they successfully built momentum. No question about it. On the 27th of February, Becky Lynch and Lita won the Women's Tag Team Championships on Raw. Again, kind of part of the continuation of the Rousey situation that we mentioned to end 2022. Kicking off March on the 1st, WWE announced the return of King of the Ring in Saudi Arabia. But to my dismay, neither the show nor the equivalent tournaments ended up happening. Instead, they changed this to Night of Champions, because they wanted to celebrate Roman Reigns, and we'll certainly talk about that later. But they announced King of the Ring, they announced Queen of the Ring, and we got neither of them, which made the Silver King a sad Silver King. Hopefully, we get them in 2024. Also on the 1st of March, three referees, Chris, helped Powerhouse Hobbs win a ladder match on Dynamite, which just was a huge viral, you know, it's nominated for 0.0 moment of the year. That was just something up there. On the 3rd, We got the Undertaker huge pop tweet. Again, just a viral moment that I wanted to mention. And then we move to the 5th. And the 5th of March was AEW Revolution, which featured two big moments, I would say. The first was Ruby Soho turning heel and the outcast getting formed along with Soraya and Tony Storm, the quote-unquote rejects from WWE, if you will, although Tony left on her own accord. Actually, Soraya did as well. And then we got the incredible Iron Man match main event between MJF and Brian Danielson, undoubtedly among the match of the year contenders. And now that I'm thinking back on it, I think one of my favorite matches, definitely in the top 10 in AEW history. Yeah, Uh, real quick, 
The Undertaker huge pop tweet. I, for people who don't get it, Wheeler Yuta in <laughs> AW was bleeding heavily. I think he might have been in a sharpshooter, and he basically, I think he basically did the Stone Cold Steve Austin Bret Hart blood, you know, bloodstone shot. And someone tweeted like, "Imagine if you're Stone Cold Steve Austin, you turn on AEW, and people are comparing Wheeler Yuta to you." Kevin Nash resp- replies, "He ain't watching." And then Undertaker replies to Kevin Nash, huge pop. <laughs> so that was the context yes. to Kevin Nash and Undertaker basically saying, and Stone Cold Steve Austin's not watching AEW. It was, a, it was a, became a meme from there on. It was pretty funny yeah. uh, at the time. So I just want to give the context for the people who didn't know yeah. what that meant. No question. No question about it. On the 6th of March, Vince McMahon, sporting a new pencil mustache, was backstage at Raw, which was his first WWE televised event that he appeared at in eight months. This is backstage behind the scenes. We also got the first John Cena Austin Theory confrontation on the episode and the awful debut of Johnny Gargano's remixed entrance theme. There, a lot came out of Vince being backstage. And this was probably, Chris, that second wave of concern where it's like, oh my God, we're a month out to WrestleMania and Vince is back. And all these plans, these well-laid plans that Triple H has put out there He's about to muck him up. Yeah, and we I don't think we saw we didn't see the pencil mustache at the time. That was the word no, going around. We did not. We would see that a few weeks later. We would. On the 14th, speaking of Johnny Gargano, Quill Gargano, aka Baby Wrestling, made his WWE TV debut. Now, this is not notable at all. The reason I'm including it is so when we go back and do our 2041 year in review, you'll remember this and we'll have a clip that we were there when Quill made his debut on television. On the 15th, the AEW All-Atlantic Championship leveled up to become the AEW International Championship thanks to Shazam! Fury of the Gods. The movie, Chris, was a huge step down from the first Shazam and like the new remake versions. But to be fair, despite all the jokes, the international title has become far better than the All-Atlantic title ever was. It did legitimately level up. Now, that's purely based on booking, obviously, not the name, and certainly not Shazam Fury of the Gods. But they could have done all of that without the sponsorship. Nevertheless, they also could have done it all without the name change. Still, it is notable that from this moment forward, the International Championship did become the number two title in AEW. I do I do think it is a better name. I, I, I still don't understand what the sponsorship had to do with the name. But <laughs> Nothing. I, I, I did like... <laughs> I do like the name more than All Atlantic, which never really made sense. All Atlantic never made sense. But what's weird now is that AEW has an international championship and they're going to be debuting a continental championship rather than just having an intercontinental championship, which, you know, we can discuss a little bit later, perhaps. On the 17th of March, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens reunited on SmackDown with a hug. And you want to talk about a pop. This was one of the best pops of 2023 as well. I mean, we maybe as we go through this, we'll talk about the 10 biggest pops of the year. Uh, but this is up there, I think, with one of the 10 biggest pops of the year. Yeah, because if I recall correctly, Kevin Owens saved Sami Zayn at the end of the Elimination Chamber, but he didn't embrace him. He Correct. left. Correct. And so they did a good job of post-Rumble, not just immediately we're good. And Kevin Owens, like, they did a good job of set of promos to explain, like, I'm not just coming back to you because of this. And we all made the point that, look, Kevin Owens turned on Sami Zayn so many more times, and then eventually they built up to it, built up to it, and then you get it. 
And it was a great moment. Yeah, the key to this was coming out of Elimination Chamber. The thought was, okay, well, clearly they're going to do the tag team match, which makes the most sense. It gives Sammy a big moment. It gives Kevin a big moment. But they got to reunite as a team and friends. And they just didn't do it. And we're waiting. We're like, what, when the hell are they going to do this? And now here we are the 17th, two weeks out from WrestleMania. They finally reunited. And I believe it was the following Monday or maybe the next Friday, they actually challenged for the tag team titles. And that was how we got that match for WrestleMania. On the 29th of March, Brian Danielson and Adam Cole both returned to AEW on the same night. Now, obviously, Danielson wasn't gone that long, and neither was Cole, but both had injuries that kept them out of action for a short period of time. Uh, they came back. It's just funny that they returned on the same night where they debuted on the same night. I'm not saying it was the same location or the same date or anything, but they just did it together. So that was notable to me. This was Cole's second return of the year, as I noted. And it was after one of two injuries that would ultimately derail his 2023. On the 31st, we had the WWE Hall of Fame coming after the go-home SmackDown before WrestleMania 39. Rey Mysterio finally joined the LWO officially after three decades as part of this. This was unique because it was an active wrestler being introduced. They also did the really cool deer where Rhea Ripley and Dominic walked out of the ceremony because they couldn't yeah. stand him being honored. Uh, Conan had arguably the greatest Hall of Fame introduction ever when he brought in Rey Mysterio. We had the great Muda with Ric Flair and Asuka. That, that was super cool. It was just a real memorable, notable WWE Hall of Fame ceremony. And Triple H definitely had his hands in here. I believe Tim White was honored. Andy Kaufman was honored. These mm -hmm. are people who should have been in the Hall of Fame years ago, Kaufman decades ago. And it just wound up being a real notable Hall of Fame ceremony. Very solid class with a great uh, capper in Ray. You weave it into the storyline that plays into WrestleMania. And we'll talk more about that whole feud, but uh, just really well planned out and set up. And I know there's stories or whatever now that Triple H has full control over the Hall of Fame, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so it was a good it was a good step forward after a couple of weird Hall of Fame years because of COVID and everything. So uh, it was good. Yeah, it was like the return of what we want the WWE Hall of Fame to be. And it was short. You know, some of those have, yeah. have dragged on for years and years. Uh, but this one was, was just well produced from top to bottom. Let's move to April, which was, of course, a huge month. On the first, we not only had WrestleMania 39 night one, which we'll get to in a moment. The day started with NXT stand and deliver. Indy Hartwell got over the hump and finally won the NXT women's title only to injure herself a few weeks later and ultimately have to relinquish it. And then she eventually got called up to the main roster. Johnny Gargano put on an absolute banger with Grayson Waller and Carmelo Hayes beat Braun Breaker for the NXT title. The only negative about this show was the crowd was simply atrocious and I could not figure it out. Maybe because it was early and it was in Los Angeles and maybe people just bought tickets to get tickets to WrestleMania because they did a package deal. I'm not sure, but they got to figure out a way to make sure the stand and deliver crowd is better this year than it was in 2023, I should say in 2024 compared to 2023. But Chris, let's just go to WrestleMania 39 night one. So we had the men's tag team showcase match, which just exceeded every expectation you could possibly have. Everyone was wondering, why is this on the card? They're just throwing names on there. It doesn't make any sense. It's not going to do anything. That shit delivered. Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul. Speaking about delivering, that over-delivered. I believe they had that fun spot with like KSI and a prime bottle thing on the table. He did mm -hmm. the frog splash. That went viral. Dominic Mysterio got the perp walk entrance 
Rey Mysterio got the lowrider Eddie Guerrero entrance with nothing but a G-thing and Snoop Dogg with him. I mean, incredible, those back-to-back. Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair put on one of the best WWE women's matches of all time. Uh, We got a surprise Pat McAfee against the Miz match. George Kittle finally got involved with WWE. We've been wondering when that would happen. Uh, It was also the first tag team main event in WrestleMania history and the first tag team main event period since WrestleMania won. The first tag team title main event is what I meant to say in case I didn't a moment ago. And this was also, at least in my opinion, one of the greatest matches in WrestleMania history. You had Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens beat the Usos for the undisputed tag team titles. And while I'm giving accolades, I felt this was one of the best singular nights in WrestleMania history as well. Chris, what were your thoughts on WrestleMania night one? It's become pretty clear that WrestleMania night one is the better night in the number of years that they've done these shows. They front loaded a lot. So the second night generally gets the focus on the main event. Mm -hmm. This was terrific top to bottom. I I think I went through our match grades um, as we were putting together the awards and the, the, listener grade of this match was i think 92 percent a 92.3 yep yeah by far the most overwhelmed i I think it might be the most overwhelming a grade we've ever had for a show and everything about this was great like you said and that dominic entrance in ray entrance and them doing their whole thing like this is this might go down as one of the most memorable storylines in pro wrestling history that is clearly not over and it's no. different than the bloodline because yeah. it's not happening every week and stuff like that but the heat on dominic has been there for well over a year and this character is not slowing down whatsoever and at some point they will bring ray and dominic back together and it'll be as hot as it ever possibly could be and tied into the hall of fame these amazing entrances and it was really cool to have a father-son match at wrestlemania kind of end up getting overshadowed because of how great of a night it was top to bottom but i just wanted to shout out the two of them that must have been so cool to do that and dominic continues to to live up he's had a heck of a year and uh they got a wrestlemania match out of it wild after all that talk remember remember uh, cody and dustin they couldn't get a wrestlemania match Mm one-on-one um maybe that's because you didn't have two nights back at the time but then to, to to go from that to get ray versus dominic pretty cool True. Don't forget, though, Dustin was gold dust and it was just I mean, they could have done it. And in this WWE yeah. in 2023 WWE, they would have made that work. No question. Um, right. But right. In, in some ways, it almost paid off for them because they got that incredible match in AEW together. And I don't know that a WrestleMania match between them would have been nearly as good as the match that they got in AEW. Despite despite the bloodletting, you know what I mean? I, I, it's, an, it's an example of how, how having two nights has clearly been a net positive in pretty oh, yeah. much every single way. We, we weren't sure at the time, but it allows you to put on not, not even necessarily more matches, but just give more attention and space to them. And they, I think they all stand out more. Well, it's more matches. It's more attention and space to them. It's also not running a six, seven hour show when you include kickoff show and matches and intermissions and, and post show. Like some of these WrestleManias were dragging. This was... In 2023, it was the best example of night one and night two coming together to create a cohesive, you know, premium live event pay-per-view that was, you know, if you you had paid for it, like if you had paid $50 per night, 
<laughs> There's no argument you got your money's worth from this show. I am re remembering, I did miss one quick moment. Uh, you, we mentioned Ray and Dom and their incredible entrances and all that. On the 23rd of March, just rewinding about a week, that was when Ray finally punched Dom. It was that huge moment on SmackDown right in front of uh, Mrs. Mysterio and the entire family. That led into the Hall of Fame, which of course led into the match. And we were having conversations, Chris, about, well, you know, if Ray just got inducted into the Hall of Fame and now he's fighting his son, they could just have him lose and he could retire here. Not only has he not retired, mm -hmm. they've both re-signed with WWE. And as you said, the storyline continues even though they're not together on the same brand and they're not discussing it or going through it on a weekly or even monthly basis. So that was night one of WrestleMania 39, just immensely over-delivered. Before night two could even begin, news leaked of a WWE merger, not a sale, but a merger with Endeavor. And that somewhat cast a little bit of a shadow over the show. You looked at everything through a different lens, wondering, is this the last WrestleMania under the firm total control, at least from an organizational standpoint, of Vince McMahon? So you go into WrestleMania 39 night two, Gunther, Drew McIntyre, and Sheamus. I mean, Chris, what else is there even to say? Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> <laughs> they just put on an absolute freaking banger. It did not open the show, but it basically got night two off to a hot start. Bianca Belair had the cutest entrance with all those young girls. I believe they were from Compton. Brock Lesnar and Omos happened. And I guess we could say over-delivered to a degree. Shane McMahon returned and immediately tore his quad. That led to an impromptu Snoop Dogg people's elbow that just saved this entire segment right in the middle of the show that looked like it was headed towards absolute disaster. Snoop came out as one of the MVPs of WrestleMania 39 night two. Finn Balor got completely busted open real early in that demon versus brood edge. I think it was hell in a cell match only for the demon to lose and just basically be killed for good because there was no coming back from that. At that point, I noted this to you. I think I texted you. I think I tweeted it. The baby faces were 3-0 and in one-on-one -on -one matches. And that was a bit foreboding because that led to Roman Reigns defeating Cody Rhodes in the main event of WrestleMania 39, probably the single most controversial booking decision of the entire year. Yes, clearly. Um, it, first off, the Shane McMahon thing, wild. <laughs> like, like to, to have... You're watching, you just feel so much shame and embarrassment for him to, to go through it and to get in this big moment on this big stage, and that happens, and you're like, holy crap, what are they going to do here? And Snoop Dogg saved it, Miz saved it, they did a great mm -hmm. job fixing that, and I don't think we ever saw Shane again, and we may never again, if I recall correctly. Uh, we, we didn't see him again in 2023, no, not yet. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, but was that, and this was a, it was a weird start to the show. Like you say, you have that, you have Finn Balor losing and you're like, yeah, why, why did, why did the demon have to lose here? And you're thinking, eh, yeah, I, I don't know. They're not going to do it though. They're not going to have built up Cody Rhodes, do all this comeback, invest everything in they have in them for the past year, only for him to lose to Roman Reigns. I know they're going to sell the company, but Cody's the great face you put on the company moving forward. Still didn't think they would do it. And when it did, or when Solo comes in for the spike and you're like, oh God, are they really doing it? And you're like, boom, I can't believe they did it. Right. I can't believe we're probably going to have to wait a y another year 
with Roman Reigns as champion. And to that point, you know, I still, it still feels like the plan at some (laughs) point was for Cody to win. And at some point it changed because the way much of the next several months played out, Roman didn't need the title. Well, we'll get to that. And it, We'll get to the way the rest of the things played out, but I still believe that Cody was supposed to win at some point and they changed it. Whether they they all, changed that, you know, to, yeah. to, to, to their credit, I guess, whatever, they claim that was not the case, both through official right. channels and through unofficial channels. You know, they've put it out there that Cody was not supposed to win the title. And even in the months leading up to it, like from the Royal Rumble win onward, he was not winning the title. That's what they say. And the the big quote that came out from Triple H in the post-show press conference was, quote, if I didn't feel like we had a compelling story on the other side, it wouldn't have been the decision. Which is wild to just think about, by the way. The Triple H is talking about booking decisions in a WrestleMania (laughs) post-press conference. This is the the world we're in now. It it is kind of wild that they've opened that door and are still kind of balancing that pretty well. I do think it was it was a great year for WWE, but I don't think the Cody Roman stuff following up from that was a compelling story that they didn't have. Now, maybe we'll get into that and I don't know. But I tell you what, the first sign that I thought Cody was going to lose, actually, I thought this at the time I wouldn't rewatch the match recently, was the vignette video package for the match leading in. Mm-hmm. It was not very good. Like WWE has like the best video people in the world. And I saw that and I was like, it didn't feel like a video package for a guy who's about to win the title. It was kind of a little more low key and then, you know, turned out to perhaps be foreboding. Yeah, I remember thinking that as well. Again, coming out of the the stat that the baby faces were three and oh, because when we did our ultimate preview for the show, we were thinking, okay, well, you know, clearly Finn Balor is going to beat Edge and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And I was like, well, if that happens, then it makes sense that you have Cody win the title. But you know, and Brock Lesnar was a babyface. So we're like, oh, Brock's going to beat Omos and, and you know, uh, Balor's going to beat um, Edge. And so it's going to be two and two. And, and we're going to be able to go into this final match. And Cody wins and we get the big babyface moment at the end of the show. And I remember immediately in that instant reaction podcast, us having the conversation, you know, I wonder if it was supposed to be Cody, but because WWE is being sold, they felt they needed to play it safe and keep it on their mm-hmm. top star, Roman Reigns. And so, but again, Triple H, both through official channels and unofficial channels, made it pretty clear this was not the plan. The plan was not to put the title on Cody Rhodes. And he had that quote that we feel like we have a compelling story on the other side. And what we said that night, the night of uh, April 2nd, which was probably, you know, now that I'm thinking about it more realistically, the morning of April 3rd, we said to each other, we're not going to be able to judge this until we actually see not only what happens in the immediate aftermath, but through the end of the year and through WrestleMania 40, because if Cody ultimately does win the title at WrestleMania 40, we may look back on this and say, you know what? He could have won it there, but it makes sense why they did this. The moment was bigger. The moment was better. And the storylines that we got over the course of the year made it worthwhile to keep the title on reigns. And I do think it's fair to say, I don't want to put the cart too much before the horse, but for a few months, it seemed like, okay, maybe they did make a fine decision. I feel like, over the latter half of the year, even if we did believe that a couple months coming out, maybe we didn't feel the same way in October, November, now December. 
I, yeah, I'm not going to say they've cooled off or anything. Well, but I'll say that. <laughs> it, it, well, at least Co- Co- Cody hasn't. Cooled. Cody hasn't. He's no. still incredibly yeah. over. But we're not at a. We're not currently at the point where I'm like, oh man, I'm so fired up about Cody Roman. They made the right call. It was worth the wait. Now we still have the Rumble Elimination Chamber and the real the whole build of WrestleMania to go. Right. So they have the key moment when they're supposed to do it. But to this point. I don't think it's it's happened yet. So we move out of WrestleMania 39. You and I go to sleep. It's super early in the morning. It's probably 3, 4 a.m. Eastern by the time I get to sleep. And I wake up and I'm preparing for a trip. I'm giving you guys a little bit of inside baseball here, okay? This was my wildest day of 2023. Because again, I went to sleep probably at 4 a.m. I had to wake up probably at 8 a.m. and drive from South Florida all the way to Augusta, Georgia, for the 2023 Masters, and I promise you there is no complaint about going to the Masters. However, Chris, before I could leave the house and before you could leave your house, you were going somewhere, I think, as well, right? Yes. I don't remember where, but I remember I was in the airport. You, you were Something was happening. We find out that the WWE merger with Endeavor that was rumored 24 hours earlier officially got announced. And they would be known eventually as TKO, which we now know today. They clearly timed this purposefully to happen right after WrestleMania because to keep WWE in the headlines, continue momentum, coming off a highly acclaimed show. You and I had to jump on the horn here, tape an instant reaction podcast immediately after we had just done the instant analysis to WrestleMania 39. I finally get into my car and end up driving. I get delayed about two hours. Chris, I then arrive in my hotel room. I shit you not, I close the door to my hotel room at 7.59 p.m. By the time I finally got up there, turned on my TV and had to watch The Raw after WrestleMania. We'll get to that in a moment, but the merger happened. Obviously not official. We'll talk about it when it becomes official later as we break down this year in review. But I just remember that morning being as chaotic as any morning I had this entire year. Yeah, and that was the day we saw the Vince Pencil mustache. Right, because he was on TV doing the interviews, right? He was on, he did a CNBC interview with Ari Emanuel, and I could not believe this was real for so many reasons. Nothing on my screen I could believe. I was watching it on my (laughs) phone. I remember I was in the DFW airport, and I'm looking at this. I'm like, Vince McMahon is selling the company. I cannot believe this. And he looks like a cartoon like Pink Panther villain yeah. with this mustache. Like, what in the world is going on? And that created a spawn of jokes about Vince and all that kind of stuff. One of the most memeable people in history and, and, and all that. But more than anything else, yeah, merging with the parent company of, of UFC and didn't quite know what to expect. They tried to say, hey, Triple H is still in charge of creative and mm-hmm. it was going to take a while for it to really go into effect. We, we emphasize that, like, hey, this isn't turning over right now. But things are going to be different for WWE, and we just don't quite know how. And so it was a pretty crazy day after a surprising WrestleMania. So I get to my hotel. Oh, I remember. I was in Birmingham. I was on my way to Birmingham, Alabama. That's where I was. I remember. For what? Like a story? I watched the Raw because I watched the Raw after WrestleMania there, and we'll get into that. So why were you in Birmingham? I went to see uh, Trent Dilfer. Uh, oh, for UAB. In, in UAB football. Yes. Gotcha. So that's what, that's what we talked about, cookout. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, we did have the conversation about cookout. You're right. So you get to Birmingham. I get to Augusta. Two random cities in the South, by the way. I mean, just 
for us to happen to be in. And you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, we were not far from each other. You know, Birmingham no. and Augusta is really not that bad. I don't think. I could be wrong. Uh, you know what? Maybe it is. I think Birmingham's uh, further south and west. But regardless, we're both not home after we had just taped an instant analysis and an instant reaction. Like I said, I closed the door to my hotel room at 7.59, immediately turn on the TV, throw my bag, raw after WrestleMania begins. And you know what? It started on fire. You had Cody Rhodes standing up to Roman Reigns. We're saying, oh, they're going to continue this. They're not They're not messing around here. Brock Lesnar comes out, aligns with him. And I would say through the first 90 minutes of the show, even though there were no returns or no debuts that I can remember, it was pretty good. And then the second half of this show went as far off the rails as any show that I can remember, including Brock turning on Cody for no legitimate reason. And eventually WWE finding maybe half a reason late in their three match feud that we almost had to explain for them on the podcast. We would then come to learn, Chris, between the end of this show and us taping our WWE episode, I think it was later, much later the next day on Tuesday, that Vince McMahon took over creative for the night, which turned WWE on a dime from having the most momentum it had in decades coming into that Raw after WrestleMania into this entirely depressing 48-hour span where you have Cody not winning the title. We looked at that as a tipping point because we didn't know at the time like what was for sure what we could believe. We looked at it as, oh, Vince comes back. He doesn't let Cody win the title. He absolutely ruins the Raw after WrestleMania and WWE is headed off a freaking cliff. And we tried to put it in perspective and we did. If you go back, I'm actually proud of that Raw after WrestleMania episode. And I actually think I only did it myself. I don't even know if you were on that show. It may have been me solo and, and you discussed it later in the week in, in the next episode. But I remember like trying to put everything in context and trying to calm everyone down. But at the same time thinking like, this shit's bleak. Like Vince went away and everything improved and he came back, but he didn't really get his hands involved and everything kept improving and being really, really good. And then all of a sudden shit was bleak. WWE was headed off a cliff and our worst fears were realized. I re- that again was one of those moments where it was that wave of depression where it's like, why can't I just enjoy this thing that is better than it's been in so long? Why does Vince and why do all these incidents have to keep happening to kind of stall that momentum? And that's what I remember feeling on April 3rd, the Raw after WrestleMania and the 4th. Right, we go from Cody surprisingly losing, company is sold, Vince is in charge, Raw after WrestleMania happens. Yeah. And you're like, oh, so we're just, we're, we're going back. And you're right. I think actually, I remember I was in the drive through at Cookout, I think, listening to this episode. So I must not have been on it. Yeah, you were. And, 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 you, and you said, you said, I'm pretty sure on this episode when you said like, just, you know, by the way, Vince was already in town because of WrestleMania. This doesn't mean he's going to be on the road all the time. Fingers crossed. Hadn't been right. Before. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you laid out this possibility that, look, it may just be because Vince was there and he's not going to be there every week and things might still be OK. And I think that proved to be accurate. Yeah. But yes, at, at, at this time, um, there was understandable reason for everybody to be concerned again. Yeah. And, and we ultimately found out that Vince was. You know, Triple H said he was consulting Vince for higher level things here and there, not not counting this show. 
um, but that he largely had control. And whether that was true or not, the product did not suffer really beyond this Raw after WrestleMania. SmackDown was fine. The next week's Raw was fine. And everything yeah. continued pretty much as it had been continuing. But this was such a sore moment that you couldn't help but look at it as like, is this going to be a turning point where all this stuff that we've loved since SummerSlam that Triple H has done is just going to get thrown in the trash and we're starting right back over to the WWE we had been, let's be candid, suffering through for years upon years. And it, so many people were pessimistic, myself included, but you're right. It was that shred of optimism where it was like, look, he's there. He was selling the company to Endeavor. They were, I think they were based in Las Vegas. So clearly they easily could have been in Vegas and LA working on the final terms of, of the merger, not the sale. He was there for WrestleMania, which was there. And he was there for the Raw after WrestleMania. So he came in and said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to change this and this and this, you know, and does this whole thing. It was maybe my worst version of a Vince McMahon a impersonation. I, I'm pretty good, but that was my worst edition of it. Um, and my hope was it's just one night. And ultimately it proved to be just one night, but we did not know that on April 3rd. We did not know that on April 4th. And it wasn't until much later where we were able to relax coming out of that. So let's keep going here with April on the 4th, uh, you know, the day after this Raw after WrestleMania on NXT, Braun Breaker finally turned heel, which was a moment for me because I'd been asking for it for about six months. And I think that's proven out to be a great change on the 5th. Jay White debuted as a full-timer in AEW. And this was not only notable because he's an immense talent, Chris, but the conjecture coming into the year and really coming into WrestleMania was that Jay White would sign with WWE. And we came to learn that WWE basically froze its hiring to a degree and cooled off on Jay White and just kind of stopped getting back with him and maybe never offered him the contract that everyone expected he was going to get. It seemed like it was happening. Like a, it was a no doubt happening. That doesn't go down. And Jay White goes, you know what? Uh, screw it. I'll sign with AEW. And I think he's done pretty damn well over there so far. There's some booking issues I've had, but all in all, featured player, quality matches. Tough not to like what he's done in AEW. See, that's interesting because I, I would disagree with that point. It, it was a huge get for AEW because as soon as he came in, as soon as they got him, I thought, this is a main event type of guy, a world champion type of guy. It, it, WWE didn't get him for whatever reason. It's another shot in the arm for AEW. Mm -hmm. And he's been mostly kind of just a high mid-card forgettable to me. He had the MJF stuff, with, which okay. went on a bit too long. It dragged and dragged and dragged for a little bit. And the match between them was yeah. odd to lose to a one-legged MJF. Yeah. Um, but he's a guy I thought could immediately shoot to the top of this company and get in the mix. And instead he was doing the tag team thing for a while. And I don't, and, and Jay White just does not feel as big of a deal yet as I think he should be. It's better now than those first handful of weeks and months when he got there, but he, but he, they didn't ride that momentum right off the bat. I don't think. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. Let me clarify. I agree. He should be, and could have been a bigger deal in AEW in 2023. No question about that. But he had some incredible, those FTR matches were top tier, you know, with Juice Robinson that they had. The one in particular on Collision was outstanding. And he's wrestled a number of great matches, had a number of really solid promo segments, both uh, behind, you know, the stage, you know, backstage, behind the stage, who says that, both backstage 
and uh, in the ring as well. But you are correct in that he's not being used to the fullest extent of his abilities. And that match with MJF really did set him back because he lost to a one-legged man. I mean, let's just be candid about what happened in that match. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, So I agree. And I, I do think that the better fit for him ultimately would have been WWE, but it is what it is. And what happened is what happened. And maybe he looked at it as, look, I plan to come over here. They're not either giving me the time of day or they're not as enthusiastic about me or they're not willing to act and sign me right now like they were going to. Well, I'm going to go take the deal with people I know in a place that I like. And I'm going to go to AEW and maybe, I don't know how long his deal is, but if it's a three-year deal, turns around and maybe he does sign with WWE coming up. But uh, I, I think he was, they needed something that was different. And Jay White did bring that, especially early in 2023 up to the mid-year point. That's the way I saw it. On the 12th of April, Jeff Hardy returned to AEW off his DUI and really hasn't done anything since. On the 24th of April, Chris, CM Punk briefly appears backstage at WWE Raw in Chicago, only to get kicked out. I think it was once Triple H found out he was there or something like that. Someone called him and he's like, yeah, you yeah. should probably go, Phil, like get out of here. And then on that same show, Triple H announced the return of the World Heavyweight Championship, which if you come now and think back on that, you had CM Punk in Chicago, Triple H announcing the World Heavyweight Championship. Well, CM Punk, and again, we'll talk about it later, is now in WWE feuding with the World Heavyweight Champion. And it, they were all kind of the gestation of that almost came from the 24th of April. On the 26th, yeah, oh, sorry, real, go quick, ahead. real quick, yeah, go I want to jump, I want to jump back at this because this felt like in hindsight, this feels like a major moment. At the time, it felt more kind of gossipy or whatever because he was still under contract with AW. And he was just wanted, seeing friends, oh, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. people want, oh, is he trying to kind of stick it to AW and all kinds of things? But by all accounts, he he made up with some people. I think the Miz. that's where he made up with the Miz. That he made up with the Miz. Yeah, and, and so that may have indeed planted the seeds of his eventual WWE return. Um, because just the context of everything was kind of wild to think about him just appearing backstage. Like, how did he get in? Like, we had all these questions <laughs> and, and and all that uh, kinds of stuff. And and um, yeah, it it did. I think looking back, it's a bigger moment than maybe we thought. It was notable because he was injured and not on AWTV at the time, and people were wondering, like, is he going to get brought back? If so, how did he show up at WWE to kind of like you said, like stick it to Tony Khan a little bit in the ribs? Like, hey, man. You know, I'm here and people are going to talk about me like you should bring me back. It was very curious when he showed up there and it was notable. And yeah, maybe it was a harbinger of something that was to come later in the year. On the 26th of April, Roderick Strong made his debut in AEW. He's now part of one of the biggest storylines, and I would say for better or for worse in that regard. On the 28th of April into the 1st of May, we had the WWE draft which split the roster. I think you and I agreed at the time, Raw just absolutely loaded up on talent. And we've seen that play out through the rest of 2023, where, again, just my opinion, at least, Raw has been the far better show, especially over the latter half of the year. But we also had multiple NXT call-ups in that WWE draft. Unholy Union, Indy Hartwell, Apollo Crews, JD McDonough, Zoe Stark, Pretty Deadly, Katana Chance, and Caden Carter, Grayson Waller, Indu Sure, Odyssey Jones all of them. I would say, Chris, that McDonough, Stark, Pretty Deadly, Waller, and now the KCs have all been real successful call-ups. Alba Fire and Isla Dawn 
they're seemingly just about to get started and sink their teeth into something, which is positive. But Apollo, Indy, Indusure, they're barely used, and Odyssey has just completely disappeared. I didn't even realize, remember that Odyssey Jones got called up. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, there, there's a mixed bag in here. Zoe Stark had some pretty big stuff with Tristratus, but she's kind of falling back. J.D. McDonough's now in the Judgment Day storyline. Um, so, uh, and then we have women's tag team champs. So, some, some like kind of mid to low card depth in a couple of people who are kind of toward the top of the card, but nobody here, I think, who is really um, kind of, taken the world by storm since then. No, I, I felt like they were mostly depth call-ups, which they needed because what we talked mm-hmm. about with WWE and, you know, we had mentioned the Royal Rumble where they brought back a bunch of women to fill out that division, but the, the depth lacked so much from that huge amount of releases that WWE did uh, during the pandemic and, and coming out of the pandemic that Triple H had to rebuild the roster. And the one thing you yeah. can say about all those names that I mentioned, and, and pretty deadly, you have to remember, they've been injured, so that's one of the reasons they haven't been featured much is the vast majority of those people have received TV time and they've been utilized. Some haven't, but the vast majority of them have. And Waller was like an undrafted free agent. You could argue he's gotten the most TV time and the most feature opportunities out of anyone on this list, which also goes to show there was another thing that happened in this draft that pissed me off. It was, it was insane. Then it was absurd. Now (laughs) Austin theory was drafted over Seth Rollins on one of the nights, which just, did not make sense. And the my frustration with the draft, and we'll get off this topic and we'll move over to May. But Chris, my, what I hate about it is when the draft, not, not when it doesn't work out where like people are on the right brands or any of that, but it needs to be treated like a real draft. So if you want to pick like Rhea Ripley over Seth Rollins, that's okay. You can do something like that, right? But you shouldn't be picking someone like Austin Theory over a Seth Rollins, a main event player, you know, one of your top guys. I, I hate the way that they they build the draft because it's kayfabe, right? You should be able to do it in a way where all of the picks make sense in the order in which they're chosen. And they just don't do it. And the other thing that pissed me off, I'm sorry, I have to go back to this, is they had war rooms for Raw and SmackDown. And I loved it, right? Because they had former talent and they had uh, like general managers. Teddy Long was involved and other people. And it was cool that they were picking for these brands. But there was no consistency. People who were picking for Raw on the 28th were picking for SmackDown on the 1st. And it was just like, why didn't you just create separate war rooms where all of this could have come together and made complete sense instead of 70% sense? Uh, So I hope the 2024 WWE draft gets executed better than the 2023 draft did. Yep, I think it's, it's always been an issue. Certain picks that don't really make sense. We'll see if it's any better in the next one. Now, briefly, before we get into May, Chris, we do need to remind everyone that the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties, are being announced soon. But before we even get to those announcements, which, by the way, are going to come on Monday, January 9th, we are still filling out our nominees. Those are going to close nominations midday Thursday this week. So if you're listening to the show, Thursday, December 28th, midday, is when nominations for the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. Will conclude. And then our entire voting ballot will be released later this week. All of you Getting Overheads get an opportunity to vote in the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. 
the meaties. And there will be a form published to our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. So look for that. Be sure to vote as soon as you see it. It's going to be a truncated window in which voting is available, but it's a third vote that all of you listeners get. I get a third, Chris gets a third, you get a third. So they are very much your awards. And they're also known as the meaties. Let's go ahead and get into May as this 2023 year in review continues. On the 2nd of May, Booker T got caught ordering DoorDash during entrances of the main event of NXT and one of just the more fun viral moments of the year. It was later revealed that he ordered chicken Parmesan from TGI Fridays, which is not necessarily the place that you should be ordering chicken Parmesan from. We had a nice conversation about that at the time. On the 3rd of May, Olympic gold medalist Tamara Mensa's stock signed with WWE, but we've yet to hear from her or see her or anything like that. So who knows whether that's going to come to fruition. On the 5th of May, we had an absolutely wild edition of SmackDown in Puerto Rico with Bad Bunny returning. I cannot remember, Chris, the last time a TV show basically gave me a heads up that a PLE was going to be awesome before it even happened. The crowd was so incredible for SmackDown that you knew Backlash would be outstanding before the show even started. Yeah, I mean, we we knew it was going to be big. We knew it was going to be an exciting crowd and all that, but you're right. That did set the tone for like, oh man, when Bad Bunny has this match, that's going to be pretty crazy. So we had the 6th of May, Backlash in Puerto Rico. EO Sky got one of the best reactions of her entire career and fully established herself as a main eventer despite losing to Bianca Belair. And I believe our reaction was, you know, it's really tough to change decisions, like change booking decisions in the middle of a match. But if there was ever a time to do one, it was there. Give EO the title, get a big pop. It all worked out for EO later in the year. Uh, Seth Rollins gave Omos his best match ever in a randomly booked match on the show that even Seth didn't understand why he was fighting Omos. Zelina Vega got an incredible reaction and had a great entrance wearing a Puerto Rican flag. Maybe the entrance of the entire year, you could argue, came for Bad Bunny. Uh, incredible pops for Carlito and Savio Vega in the exceptional match with Damian Priest, which did not main event because Cody and Brock Lesnar main evented Brock in a full crimson mask in that moment. I think I'm going to remember Backlash, Chris, more than anything else for the Bad Bunny entrance. Oh, 100%. Not not only did it not main event, it was the fifth match of seven matches. You had the Bloodline match, uh, six-man match. Right. After the, I just, looking back, and I think we said at the time, I could not believe Bad Bunny, Damian Priest was not the main event. Wait, what was that show. match? It was the Bloodline against Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and Matt Riddle? Was that it? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I have no memory of that match. Yeah, me neither. A very little match. Very little match of the Cody Brock match. Shoot, this is the the Bad Bunny stuff is what I remember. I've watched that entrance like fifty times. Yeah, me too. Like, like it, it, the 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 drone usage of that was so cool, and it set everything up. The crowd reaction was incredible. Everybody knowing it and, and singing along with his music, and he coming out with the the shopping cart of weapons mm-hmm. just really set the tone. And Damian Priest was awesome in this match. Like, like Bad Bunny was is, has always been surprisingly good, but Damian Priest was terrific. The returns, the pops for Carlito and Savio Vega, like that is leaning 
into your audience. Again, yes. just like with Sammy's End in Montreal, it used to be such a trope for so long that you'd go to a town and the hometown person would lose. It was just like a, it was like a meme at some point. And instead, they're going to these places and just leaning into the connections that the fans in that territory or country have mm -hmm. with the person. We're going to get it again with Rhea Ripley in Elimination Chamber in Australia, I'm sure. And yeah, man, like this is how you it's not international, but this is how you continue to spread WWE as a brand outside of the continental United States. And again, context here for people who don't listen to Bad Bunny. I don't listen to a ton of Bad Bunny either. He is like not Taylor Swift, but like one of the biggest musicians in the world. Like this is like, I think we compared it. This would be like Michael Jackson in his prime, like doing a match in WWE. He is gigantic. He is winning. Uh, what do you mean? He's Grammy, not Taylor Swift. He's, he's right. the number one most streamed artist in the world. She's the most streamed artist in the United States. Okay. I guess he's then bigger than is like Taylor Swift. It's just globally. Yeah. yeah so globally. Like, yeah. It, it, it really is just ginormous that he is not only just like participating in WWE, not only having a match, but wrestling well, <laughs> It's, just, it's one of the craziest celebrity moments in the history of professional wrestling, which has a lot of them. What's crazy is like, okay, so this entrance, I've watched this entrance just candidly way more than the Sami Zayn entrance at Elimination Chamber. But Me too. that one is almost like, here, here's, here's going to be the problem when it comes to the getting over awards. And I'm glad I promoted them because they're AKA... The meaties. I'm glad I mentioned the meaties before we even got into this because so we have two awards. We have entrance of the year, which is a new award for, for 2023, largely because of stuff like this. And we have moment of the year. And it almost feels like between Bad Bunny and Backlash and Sami Zayn at Elimination Chamber, one of those is the entrance of the year. But Sami Zayn at Elimination Chamber could also be the moment of the year. However, Sami Zayn turning on Roman Reigns at Royal Rumble is also nominated for moment of the year. So something is going to get cut out that really shouldn't be. And in any other year, I mean, this happens in awards all the time, whether it's the Oscars, whether it's the Emmys, whether it's um, sports awards, you know, whatever the case, MVP, like NFL MVP, you could have two people who have amazing seasons. One person has to win. There are going to be things left on, for lack of a better term, the cutting room floor when it comes to the getting over awards. That really shouldn't be. And there's every possibility that this does not win entrance of the year because guess what? There's also two crazy CM Punk entrances of the year, right? And there's also, again, like I said, the Sami Zayn entrance and, and Roman Reigns at WrestleMania and Dominic with the perp walk. So the fact that I've seen this maybe 50 times is an exaggeration. Maybe it's not. And I'm not even sure it's going to win the award. That's to me just wild, but that's how memorable this is the most memorable, I think, entrance, just as an entrance of 2023. Yeah, I would agree. All right, let's keep going here. On the 10th of April, Miro returned to AEW, or showed up, I should say, on AEW TV after eight months away. A week later, on the 17th, AEW Collision was announced at the Warner Brothers Discovery Upfront. Rumors coming into this were that CM Punk would be front and center featured as the major talent on this brand, but he was not mentioned at the upfront and that created controversy because he was supposed to not just be mentioned, but possibly be there. And it was the third time already in 2023, Chris, that Punk made news without even being on AEW television. Yeah, 
Should have known from that moment on that CM Punk and Collision was going to be kind of weird. I think we probably did know from that moment on that it was going to be a little bit strange. Uh, On the 19th, Liv Morgan got injured, which led to the vacation of the Women's Tag Team Championships. 364 days to the year that Sasha Banks and Naomi walked out of WWE, which of course created the curse on the Women's Tag Team Championships. On the 21st, speaking of Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet got injured herself in the NJPW Women's Title Tournament. That led to a changed finish in her match. And what's wild, because we're talking about, let's remember, May 21st, she has not returned to the ring since. And according to reports, her New Japan contract has expired and not been renewed as far as we know. She ended up wrestling five total matches in New Japan and stardom over a span of three months. And Chris, when we started 2023 with her debuting in New Japan, I would have said that in that moment, she was going to be the front runner for female wrestler of the year. Instead, gets hurt. And outside of one appearance we'll talk about a little bit later in today's show, largely forgotten about over the remainder of the year, at least when it came to being a wrestler. Yeah, a, a real letdown. I mean, obviously something obviously something that we knew she always wanted to do was wrestle in Japan and mm-hmm. do that kind of stuff. And uh, disappointing. And really, I mean, shoot, you just mentioned Liv Morgan injured, then Mercedes Monet injured. Really a crazy year of women's injuries. And we actually have one coming up after this. Uh, women's wrestling injuries across the board. Uh, and this one was as disappointing as any because we didn't really get to see what Sasha Banks is outside of Sasha Banks in mm-hmm. WWE. And, um, you know, we kind of really didn't get to that. So uh, we still don't know. I actually don't even have it listed on the rundown, but like in addition to all the injuries we're going to talk about, like six women in NXT tore their ACLs. Like uh, on top of everything else that we're going to talk about, including the next day on the 22nd of May, it's revealed that Dakota Kai tore her ACL. She's yet to the, return to the ring, about seven months of rehab to date. It does seem like WrestleMania could be on the table for her. And certainly the cool thing about Dakota, um, despite being injured, is that she's consistently been used on television as part of damage control. Usually someone gets hurt, you just don't see them. But they're keeping her involved in the storytelling, and it's actually worked. So that's been a huge positive for WWE. On the 24th, Sabu debuted on AEW Dynamite to randomly save Adam Cole from Chris Jericho in a moment that... Some loved, some did not. On the 27th of May, the former uh, King of the Ring that was supposed to be held in Saudi Arabia instead became Knight of Champions, Blood Money in the Sand either way. Seth Rollins became the inaugural World Heavyweight Champion. Zoe Stark turned heel, siding with Trish Stratus against Becky Lynch. Asuka beat Bianca Belair for the Women's Championship. I believe she used the mist here. And Jimmy Uso pulled the trigger on Roman Reigns with a super kick after the tag team title defeat. So a monumental and notable night of champions beyond the fact that Roman Reigns was honored, I believe, for what, 1,000 days as champion, right? He wasn't honored on this day, I don't think, but uh, this was the one that would secure him reaching 1,000 days. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, eventful show. I think if I remember Oscar, I think sprayed the mist on her hand and rubbed, rubbed it, it in, in her face. face. Very cool. I think that's how that finish went. Yeah. And um, and this was this was when, yeah, uh, Jimmy turned on because Jimmy uh, Roman won, but I think he was shoving them, shoving Jimmy and stuff like that. And 
and Jimmy turned. He was shoving Jay. Pretty big. He was shoving Jay and Jimmy. He was shoving Jay. Jimmy stood up yeah. for his brother and super kicked him. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty big super kick too, if I remember. It was. And this was one of those huge look, reactions that look, we got. Look a good one. Yeah. Where we said, you know, again, we're talking about like moments coming out of WrestleMania 39 where we're like, was it the right decision to keep the title on Reigns? And again, did the title need to be on him? Maybe not. But the storyline was still hot. And that yeah. was. Yeah. Bo- yeah. Both Usos kind of. Both Usos kind of turn on him, I think, right? Well, or, or well, J- well, J- Jay wasn't sure. No, no, no. You're we'll right. Jay Jay. Tur- Jimmy turned, and Jay was like unsure about it. Correct. But he's like, I got to follow my brother here as we walk up the ramp and look back, and Jay's uncertain. He was unsure what things. to do. Head in his hands. Yeah. Con- it was conflicted. The next step. Yeah, conflicted. So the next day and night, uh, we had AEW Double or Nothing and NXT Battleground. I believe Battleground was the afternoon and Double or Nothing was in the evening, but I'm not a thousand percent sure about that. Uh, we had Adam Cole against Chris Jericho in what was one of the worst matches of the year. I think it's pretty fair and easy to say that. The unsanctioned match, crazy, didn't really make much sense. Chris Statlander finally made her return to AEW. I believe it was also off an ACL injury. And then the combination of Ilya Dragunov against Dijak, the four pillars match for the AEW championship, and Anarchy in the Arena, all three of those as like, let's call it a triple main event of the night. Um, Those completely delivered across both shows. I can't remember much that we need to spend more time on coming out of these, but I did want to make sure that we mentioned it because the Four Pillars storyline, even though it maybe didn't play out the way we all expected it would or could, at least in terms of quality, it did wind up being a fantastic main event match. Well, by the way, don't forget, um, not only did Chris Statlander return, uh, she beat Jade Cargill. Jay, to end Jay Cargill's 60-0 start uh, in AEW as, as TBS champion. It was after Jade Cargill had beat a tie of Valkyrie. Yes, uh, you're right. Match. And then Statlander returned and beat Jay Cargill in like a minute. And and that that was the return, and that was ultimately the title change that was supposed to happen many, many months ago. <laughs> Nine happened. months earlier. So was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- this was Jay Cargill's first ever loss in AEW. Right, good addition, and I'm, I'm glad you corrected me on that. Yeah, it wasn't just stat returning. It was stat returning and winning the TBS championship off of Jade, which was a notable moment on that show that obviously uh, needed to be accounted for. So glad you brought that up. On the 30th of May, Blair Davenport was unveiled as the mystery NXT women's attacker. Baron Corbin also returned to the show with Mustafa Ali debuting in NXT. He actually was never there because he, when he started wrestling for WWE, he was on 205 Live and they worked with the Raw roster, not the NXT roster. On the 31st of May, Tony Khan Live on Dynamite announces the return of CM Punk at the debut of Collision in Chicago. This was four days shy of a year since Punk had relinquished that AEW title at first due to a foot injury. So clearly a notable moment on the 31st. Moving into June, on the 2nd, Braun Strowman was announced as out indefinitely after undergoing neck fusion surgery. You'll remember he was in the middle of a real nice tag team run with Ricochet that had some significant promise for both of them. Yeah. And that had to end just kind of on a dime there. And then on the second was, it was a Friday, so there was an addition of SmackDown. We got the new mustard-colored, undisputed WWE Universal Championship. That was unveiled. Reigns also gave the order for Solo Sokoa to take out Jimmy. And this was nine years to the day of Seth Rollins turning on Reigns and the Shield with that chair shot. So again, we're mentioning, you know, Jimmy pulling the trigger on Roman. Well, Roman gave the order for Solo on Jimmy here. And it was the, you know, we we thought the implosion of the bloodline came initially with the Jimmy superkick, 
but it didn't. They were still working together. The idea was Roman was trying to get him back in the fold. And then here is where he kind of excommunicated him uh, from the faction. So again, as we talk through this, Chris, another real notable, big pop, you know, type of moment where it's like, okay, Roman's still the champion, but this storyline's still hot. So this what was it, this wasn't where Jay saved Jimmy. Nothing with Jay. Solo, We're gonna get right? to Jay later. You keep jumping yeah, ahead Jay on. Jay didn't one. have any. Yeah. There, there was a look, there was a lot of USO Roman stuff. But that's my point, though. Or, that's exactly why I'm separating yeah. it out, right? Because my point yeah. is, we're talking about coming out of WrestleMania 39. Was this the right decision? Is it gonna stay hot? There are these individual tentpole moments still where it is hot, and it has nothing to do with the championship. It has nothing to do with the championship, other than the fact that he got the new undisputed yeah. title. Still don't like the look of the undisputed title. It's also, again, not an undisputed title. I know yada yada. We talk about it every week. I still hate that they call it that. It um, is not an undisputed world title. Is It is an undisputed specific, quote unquote, WWE Universal Championship. Which is dumb because there was only one Universal Championship. Anyway, I, I, do, <laughs> I actually did think and still do that the two belt look looked better than the current one look. But again, you couldn't have three world championship belts out there. So... Guess this is well, they did initially for a period of time. They did actually yeah. wear all three. Roman would wear, wear one and Paul Heyman would carry the other two. And eventually they phased the other two out. And it, there was a short period of time where it looked like there were four world championships in WWE, which obviously mm-hmm. was problematic. They came to their senses on that. Uh, on the 5th of June, WWE signed a deal with Twitch, allowing talent to return to the service, which was a big deal when it came to talent being happy. Uh, uh, morale improved tremendously based on this announcement. And it also helped with free agents and other people that they were recruiting, knowing they had other revenue streams uh, that were closed off previously. On the 7th of June, the Iron Sheik died, which was obviously a, a massive moment, just being one of those true legends uh, in the industry. On the 9th and the 12th, the new WWE Women's Championship and WWE Women's World Championship were unveiled, respectively, for Asuka, and Rhea Ripley, who, of course, won hers, uh, her championship at WrestleMania. And there was the whole stuff. If you remember with Raw and SmackDown talent fighting each other and the titles being on the wrong brands, they had to wait until June uh, to make that change, despite the draft, let's remember, coming in late April. And then in early May, they had backlash where it was all messed up. If I don't remember, does one of them say undisputed championship? On so it? the title. Yeah, yeah, it does. The women's championship, the, 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 the women's championship that is currently on SmackDown. Uh, says undisputed. The, the title that Oscar was given said undisputed championship because they wanted it to match Roman's title. But yeah. it, that's the one I had a problem it's with even, undisputed. It's even less undisputed. Right. That's the <laughs> one that actually has is problematic to be called undisputed. For me, the men's, I had no issue whatsoever. Uh, but yes, the world championships are they, on Raw and the WWE championships are on SmackDown. They don't call it the undisputed. It no. just says it on the belt. It just they, says they've it. never said it out loud. It, yeah. it, it says it and it makes... Zero sense why it says it on there. I just don't get that at all. Uh, on the 13th, Umberto Carrillo and Angel Garza returned to NXT for what ended up being a six-month stint. On the 16th, finally, Chris, we can talk about what you want to talk about. Jay Uso pulls the trigger on SmackDown. He joins his brother against Roman Reigns, which was probably the best individual moment in the Bloodline story post-WrestleMania and undoubtedly the biggest pop that the Bloodline story has received for any moment post-WrestleMania all the way up until the end of the year. Yeah, th- that this is one of the moments I remember when, when Jey Uso says, like, if you're out, then I'm out too. Boom, yeah. super kick. Like, that That was a great moment. They nailed that turn right there. Um, 
and 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 for him to him to finally turn on Roma too, for Roman to be left with nobody, I guess, I guess, except solo at the time, this was a very well executed turn. Uh, if you were going to rank the turns, I think Sammy, obviously number one, yes. this one, number two, yes. then the Jimmy number three. Absolutely. Yeah. This was number two only to Sammy just because Sammy was at the Royal rumble and it was building up and you knew Sammy was a baby face the entire time. Right. But he had to extricate himself from the bloodline. But this was exceptionally well done just across the board. And I want to put a pin in this one. So June 16th, okay? I want us to remember this date as we kind of go through the rest of the show and we talk about the bloodline. The next day on the 17th was the debut of AEW Collision and the return of CM Punk to AEW. And what's interesting looking back on this, which I think some people forgot, the promo he gave on this show was quite reminiscent of the promo that he gave on the first dance when he actually made his AEW debut. And both of those are very similar, or I should say his eventual uh, promo that he gave on WWE television on Raw was very similar to both of these promos. So he kept kind of like referring back to and somewhat recycling uh, what he was doing in these debut and return promos. But I thought Collision was fantastic on its debut episode. And really the first month, it was a show that just looked and felt completely different from what we were getting on Dynamite. And for that first month of its existence, primarily or at least in part because Punk was on the show, and also though because different talent was on the show, I preferred Collision to Dynamite even though I wasn't watching it live and even though it was on a Saturday night. The only thing I remember from this uh, CM Punk promo, I think he took a subtle Young Bucks reference, but not much. And then he said that David Zaslav uh, loved him. Because he's one bill. Who's the head of, yeah. Yeah, one bill Phil. Yeah, who's, who's the head of WBD, which might be the most healish thing uh, he's ever said. So <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah, and Collision to start was, was fun. It was like the wrestling show. It, early on, it felt like they tried to establish Collision as the wrestling show and Dynamite as the storyline show. And they've kind of kept up with that, but changing in talents has kind of changed things around and Punk's whole thing changed it too, but it was a good start. No doubt about it. So on the 19th, Tommaso Ciampa returned to Raw after eight months with No One Will Survive as his entrance, which was really the highlight of it. On the 20th, Gable Stevenson debuted in NXT. This despite being drafted to Raw like a year earlier and never actually appearing on Raw or doing really anything in WWE. On the 21st, MJF and Adam Cole, who is basically the number one contender for his title, uh, MJF's title, are announced as the first team for the AEW Blind Eliminator Tag Team Tournament which somehow included tag teams that were very familiar with one another, wasn't that blind. Uh, but kicking off the Brochacho friendship, uh, this is an angle that, of course, is still going today. And for any faults, it's still probably one of the most notable storylines of the year. Whether it's one of the best, I think, is up for interpretation. Yeah, and I think we talked about at the time, like you could have put in just like a little bit more effort in terms of some of the blind draws to make them less obvious, but... It was interesting. And at the time, like, like these are two of the most over people in your company. Put them together. See what happens. It turned out to be a pretty good decision, I think. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's made for good television. There's no question about that. On the 25th, a few days later, we had AEW NJPW Forbidden Door. The Adam Cole match actually got canceled because he got sick. He had an illness. MJF and Hiroshi Tanahashi actually disappointed on that show. But 
Osprey and Omega, they put on another extraordinary banger, another match of the year contender. No question about it. Brian Danielson then broke his arm in that match against Kazuchika Okada. And we were kind of coming out of that thinking, man, this, it was really good for large parts, but it did not live up to our expectations of being great. And instead, you know, we're going to have them rematch early in 2024 at Wrestle Kingdom 18. And that's a huge positive. But coming out of Forbidden Door, it was not really one of the highlights, which we thought it was going to be. No, um, it was. It was still great. I'm not trying to say it wasn't great. It was still a great match. It just wasn't as great as I expected it would be. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, moving into July, on the 1st, we had WWE Money in the Bank in London. Damian Priest won the men's briefcase, still holds it. It's actually, Chris, the longest tenure with the briefcase for a male superstar since Seth Rollins in 2014, which is great. Uh, Shayna Baszler turned on Ronda Rousey. Let's remember, this storyline was supposed to really start in January and not conclude at WrestleMania, but have its biggest moment at WrestleMania. And here we are where they finally turn on one another in late July or early July. I'm sorry, the first day of July. Drew McIntyre also returned to go face to face with Gunther after he beat, I think, Riddle uh, to retain the Intercontinental Championship. John Cena surprised with the big uh, just showing up, number one. But number two, the WrestleMania in London tease, which was one of the biggest pops of 2023, even though we know the chances of that happening are probably slim. And EO Sky won arguably the best women's Money in the Bank match ever. Lastly on the show, Jay pinned Roman for the first time in nearly 1,300 days in that tag team match, the Usos over the bloodline, Roman and Sokoa. The bloodline civil war is what this was called, Chris. Yeah, good show. And yeah, Jay getting that pin over Roman, which they kind of hyped up coming in and during the match, turned out to be a pretty big deal. And this really kicked off the momentum for Jay's singles career to give him to for him to be the one to get that pin. Yeah, no question. And this also continued a string of immensely strong WWE shows coming out of WrestleMania. Like you need to remember, like Night of Champions was maybe a slight downer, but they had backlash and money in the bank. And you're just like, holy crap, they are still absolutely rolling. So coming out of Money in the Bank the next week, we had the trial of the tribal chief on SmackDown. And this was a pretty damn uneven segment, Chris. And again, I want to remind, we talked about June 16th and July 1st, this Money in the Bank moment, Jay pinning Roman. Here we are July 7th. And this was kind of uneven. And for me, it possibly served as like a harbinger of what was to come with this storyline over the latter half of the year. Didn't know it then. Seems like it might be the case now. We'll come back to that. Uh, on the 14th, we had Shotzi shaving her head on SmackDown for her sister who was fighting cancer. Also the first time that we saw Bobby Lashley with the Street Profits together five months later. Still really nothing between them. On the 17th, federal law enforcement executed a search warrant on WWE Chairman Vince McMahon as part of their ongoing investigation. He was served with a grand jury subpoena. On the 18th, Dominic Mysterio won the NXT North American Championship ending Wesley's 265-day reign. He became the first wrestler in WWE history to compete in the main event of NXT Raw and SmackDown all in the same week. And the long and short of it, I don't think we need to spend much time, but Dom had a great run with the North American title, two of them. Actually, it helped enhance him and really develop him as a character and as a wrestler over the latter half of 2023. He's not going to win, but he has a case for wrestler of the year in 2023. 
And I think this week was kind of uh, a key highlight of that. I would say that I don't think he's going to win, but he has a case for a breakout wrestler of 2020. That too. I wouldn't say yeah. necessarily for wrestler, but I digress. On the 19th, Kota Ibushi wrestled at for AEW at Blood and Guts. On the 24th, Rhea Ripley attacked Liv Morgan on Raw. That was to write her off for injury after a short return that she had. And this was the moment for me where Ripley truly leveled up thanks to Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and reached a different stratosphere. Like it was one thing for her to win the title at WrestleMania, but when she attacked Liv Morgan here, she just completely took off as the top woman on Raw, at least from a consistent fan response standpoint. Yeah, because we hadn't seen her dominate that much even since winning the belt at WrestleMania. We needed some signs of that, and this did that. Yeah, it did. On the 28th, Rey Mysterio suffered a concussion live on TV in a match with Santos Escobar. This was on SmackDown as part of the United States Championship Tournament, and that whole thing kind of got mixed up on the same show. Sonya Deville tore her ACL. That kept the women's tag team titles in flux. As we mentioned, women injuries all freaking year long. On the 29th, CM Punk introduces the real AEW title on collision with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat announced as a special guest referee against Ricky Starks. MJF on this episode, Chris, also took his first pinfall loss in 14 months. This was almost the conclusion, I believe. It was the conclusion of that blind tag team tournament because they got the title match against FTR, FTR retained. MJF, surprisingly, though, was the one to take the fall. I just remember that being notable and the episode being pretty solid as well. Yeah, was this the one where we thought MJF was going to attack him and he didn't? I know they did a few teams. Well, it was here. Though. We figured they'd lose the match. Then MJF and would then, attack him, stay heel. Yeah. And that was ahead of all in is what we thought would happen. Yeah. They'd have a one-month build, basically. It was there in that moment. On the 30th, uh, NXT Great American Bash, Ilya Dragunov and Carmelo Hayes put on another match of the year contender. We also had Baron Corbin and Gable Stevenson just absolutely stink up the joint with fans turning on Gable the second he got in the ring. I don't remember. Did you see this? Did you watch the show? I saw, I didn't see the whole thing. I saw clips of it and yeah. And Gable Stevenson, I think is training for the Olympics now. So it didn't, yeah. I think he's back there doing that. So hasn't really worked for someone. They put a lot of hype behind total failed experiment. Absolutely. On the 31st, Gunther briefly lost his first match in 16 months and it beat the cock challenge to Chad Gable on Raw. Ultimately, they restarted it and Gunther won. Moving into August on the 2nd, the elite Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and Hangman Page all signed multi-year deals to remain with AEW after they claim they seriously considered as a group leaving for WWE. They said it was a group decision. They all decided to stay. And look, I think it would have been interesting to get Omega in WWE. I, I just think AEW is the right place for Hangman Page and the Young Bucks. I, I'm glad they stayed. Oh, me too. I mean, if they didn't stay, what the heck is AEW? It's it's all elite wrestling after all. And after they had already lost uh, Cody at that point, um, with what later came in the year, man, if they had lost the three of them, I'm not sure what would be left. Four of them. But yeah, no, I, t- I totally agree with you. Yeah. On the 4th of August, Rikishi, Afa, and Sika finally appear for the Tribal Combat video package on SmackDown, which preceded SummerSlam. So let's just go right to SummerSlam on the 5th. Logan Paul beat Ricochet with Samantha Irvin, announcing him as the winner. Cody Rhodes bests Brock Lesnar and gets an impromptu handshake, which was, this was, by the way, Brock's longest match since the prior SummerSlam. LA Knight got a massive pop for winning a battle royal people said was an insult to include him in, even though they built the entire match so he could win and get a pop. 
Baszler and Rousey did the MMA rules match, which completely fell flat. McIntyre and Gunther had a total banger. Incredible storytelling in Rollins, Balor, but as we've mentioned, ad nauseum on the podcast. A missed opportunity to put Finn over and wrap up that seven-year storyline. The second time in 2023 where Balor was on the wrong side of a booking decision, the first being at WrestleMania against Edge, as we already mentioned. EO Sky on SummerSlam cashed in her Money in the Bank briefcase to win the women's title moments after Bianca Belair beat Asuka. We rolled our eyes that Bianca beat Asuka, and then all of a sudden, EO comes flying in, wins the title one year after debuting on the main roster, despite nearly leaving WWE and returning to Japan. I'm going to pause here because we have one other thing to talk about. But SummerSlam, with all of this said, with really the exception of Baszler and Rousey, banger show with a lot of big moments. Yeah, I mean, I was there. It had a lot of big moments. The three that stand out to me were LA Knight winning. Huge, crazy pop for that. People were going nuts. LA Knight shirts everywhere. Uh, Everybody wanting Finn Balor to win in a couple of really good false finishes in that match. We thought Finn was going to win. And then EO cashing in, which was pretty cool as well. Um, Those with some high highs and some some low lows as well. The MMA rules was was one and was the main event. Main event, tribal combat. It was panned. Uh, Roman and Jay just failed to deliver to expectations. There were a lot of parts of it that didn't make sense, including the fact that they said basically no one was going to interfere and it was going to be tribal combat, yet there was interference. And and really, Chris, since then, and again, I want to point to these dates that I was mentioning, right? What did I say? June 16th, 16th and July 1st. And we're saying, this thing is still hot, this bloodline story. And then August 5th rolls around. And really, from this moment forward, the bloodline story has not progressed in any meaningful way, going on four months and counting. And again, when we look back and say, did Roman need to have the title all of this time up until August 5th? The answer is no, because even though Tribal Combat was for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, what it was really for was the title of Tribal Chief. And the title did not need to be involved here. So we don't have to mention it again as we close the year. But, but you know, you could say maybe going into July 1st, like, okay, all of this is still super, super hot. And if you want the biggest part of the hottest storyline to be champion, that makes sense. But once SummerSlam happened, and really through the end of the year, you're looking at the storyline saying, it's kind of falling apart a little bit. Yeah, I was there again, and I have like no memory of that Roman J match like at all. There's, there was nothing that nothing memorable, about it, which is disappointing. Yeah, you're totally right. On the seventh of August, Michael Cole and Wade Barrett became the new commentary team on Raw. An improvement later in the week, Cole, Kevin Patrick, and Corey Graves take over for SmackDown, and we'll probably talk more about that in a bit. Becky Lynch drank lemonade ringside and does Triple H's spit entrance after she and Trish Stratus are left off the SummerSlam card. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura also turned heel beginning his anime villain persona, which has been just one of the best parts of WWE over the latter half of the year. On the 11th, Rey Mysterio won the US Championship on SmackDown. Jey Uso also super kicked Jimmy Uso and quit WWE. Deuces, Uses. And that obviously came after Jimmy interfered in that tribal combat match. So that was the payoff. And again, it was like, okay, Jay's quit. And this all makes sense, but is it good, right? We're still kind of in that mindset right there. On the 12th of August, Osprey and Naito put on 
One of the matches of the year at the G1 Climax 33 over in AEW, CM Punk buried Hangman Page in a post-show promo, which kind of like restarted tensions we hoped had been calmed, Chris. And it was one of those situations where it's like, you know, things have been pretty rosy over on AEW Collision to that point. And all of a sudden, the floodgates kind of opened, not just based on what he did here, but we started learning some of the backstage stuff that was happening at Collision that did not paint CM Punk in a great light. Yeah, the promo was basically saying Hangman, he's called Hangman because all his toys are still hanging on the shelves or something like that, like nobody's buying them. It's very yeah, weird, it was weird very joke. But there was more important at the time. I think he apologized or tried to apologize afterward, but I think based on how things uh, later played out, it was clearly a sign of other things. For sure. On the 15th, Mustafa Ali finally debuted the politician gimmick he'd been pushing for years on NXT. That's notable because of something that would happen later. On the 16th, Lacey Evans exited WWE and wrestling for that matter, which always felt like it was a long time coming. The 18th was a big day, though. Cash Wheeler got arrested for aggravated assault with a firearm in Florida. And all of a sudden, we knew all in. It was like 10 days later. Is he going to be cleared for international travel? Is he going to be able to make that show? That was a huge deal. And then one of his friends, Edge, had his incredible farewell match and moment with Sheamus on SmackDown, which was immensely memorable. And in the moment, we thought, well, maybe he's retiring. Maybe he doesn't know what he's going to do. I think it was pretty clear he knew what he was going to do. Yeah, I was, you know, there had been talk about Edge for a while. I didn't really believe Edge and AEW for a while. I didn't quite believe it until maybe this send-off thing happened. Right. And it kind of seemed to open that door. On the 19th, Matt Cardona did his Ghostbusters entrance at GCW Homecoming. On the 21st, Chad Gable handed Gunther his first legitimate loss in 16 months on Raw. I believe he won that match via countout. And then the month really took a turn uh, because on the 23rd, Terry Funk died. And on the 24th, Wyndham Rotunda Bray Wyatt died unexpectedly at age 36. And this just threw everything and everyone in professional wrestling for a loop, not dissimilar from what happened with Jay Briscoe earlier in the year and not dissimilar from what happened with Brody Lee, you know, a couple of years earlier than that. Um, everything changed the 25th WWE held a special SmackDown Memorial for Bray and Terry and it just hit. And I think the entire wrestling world was completely crushed by this. Yeah, it was terrible. And, and um, we, we did a long, tribute show we did uh, to yeah. them as well and uh i thought wwe did a really nice job with the tribute they did the video package um was really really well done brought me to tears uh, mm -hmm. both times they played it uh, eric rowan was there i think on raw with the rocking chair um just in incredibly sad you know, bray one of the most creative guys in the history of wrestling um a lot of moments a lot of memories a guy again only 36 mm -hmm. guy who could have done this for a very very long time and uh, a, a lot was lost there. And, you know, Seth Rollins has made a point to continue uh, sharing his memory mm -hmm. and, and Brody Lee's memory as well, even just recently because Brody Lee's uh, birthday was recently. So um, just really sucks and something I don't think we'll ever really get over. I try not to like put over our stuff too much and it like feels weird to self-promote this, but I loved our tribute episode to those two. I think it's one of the best episodes mm -hmm. we've done in you know, nearly four years of this podcast. So if anyone wants to, you know, get tear jerked a little bit, um, go find that episode in our archive and listen to the tribute to uh, Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk. I highly recommend it. On the 27th of August, 
AEW All In at Wembley Stadium. At least 73,000 fans attend. We can argue and squibble over, or quibble, I should say, not scribble, uh, quibble over tickets sold, metrics, turnstile count. Doesn't really matter. This was an incredible accomplishment in an incredible venue. You had MJF and Adam Cole open the show by winning the ROH tag team titles. Mercedes Monet was shown in the crowd and we're thinking, oh wow, she's gonna debut in AEW soon. Maybe even later in the show she'll come out. Nope. Uh, Jungle Boy shaded CM Punk with the real glass spot into a car windshield. Some CM Punk then opened the show against Samoa Joe. In this moment, we don't know what happened behind the scenes. Soraya enters to Queen's We Will Rock You at Wembley, which is incredible, then wins the world championship, yet somehow they don't play We Are the Champions after that, which didn't make sense to me. Sting completely exceeded expectations in the coffin match. Uh, Osprey and Jericho got it done one-on-one. House of Black honored Bray with a lantern. And in the main event, MJF retained the AEW title over Cole in a banger that had to get restarted, yet they still remained friends and hugged after the bell to end the show. No question, Chris, AEW All-In deserves nomination for premium live event, pay-per-view, special show, whatever you want to call it, of the year. Um, It was incredible. They did a great job. You can argue over whether, like, the card was the best or the wrestling on the show was the best, but the spectacle, some of the moments, and ultimately the history of it is what stands out to me. Yeah, this should have been, I think probably was and maybe will be the pinnacle of AEW, like their greatest their peak. moment. Yeah. Their peak. Like, like just to, again, basically sell out Wembley Stadium for a show that is basically largely for an American audience is just wild. Mm-hmm. And they they nailed the spectacle of it. That was always the question. I've criticized AEW's production a lot, camera angles and various things that they miss. They they got it all here, man. Like it all really, really worked. And I think it was uh, a great finish to the show. You know, they kind of do the, the Brett British Bulldog type of finish. Mm-hmm. With, with the hug, which I don't think a lot of people got at the time because I think AEW sometimes leans too much into that stuff. But they they had told that story for months between Cole and MJF, and it, it paid off at the end. It was really fun. And honestly, the only downside is I think is because they did a show a week later, it kind of <laughs> took away from us appreciating yeah. how great it was because the fact that they had the fact that they, we didn't even get like any time to like celebrate it or or move on because within a week we had a preview show to do you know so it was like, not just that, that though, really Chris. was it wasn't even just that because we're here doing the instant analysis on the show and we're learning about a backstage incident that happens during the show which could, yep, which that, overshadowed yep. it just like it overshadowed all out brawl out in 2022 it didn't overshadow yep. it to the same degree let's not get it twisted but it was very similar where we're like, oh my God, AEW had another tentpole event and there's another incident with CM Punk. And here we are and, rehashing yeah. the same takes that we had a year earlier. Like how, like we knew this was going to happen. Like the, the hangman stuff, the Tony Khan stuff, like we're not going to relitigate it on this show, but you can't even enjoy all in for what it was in that moment because of yeah. CM Punk and Jack Perry. And because word had gotten out during the show. During the show, Tony yeah. Khan had Tony Khan had to open his post-show press conference talking about it. So yeah, if you don't do an all-out the week later, if you don't have the CM Punk thing happening, we're talking about this, you know, in in the annals of great wrestling shows. Yeah. But it got overshadowed because AEW just often can't quite get that, even when they do something spectacular. Yeah, both accidentally and on purpose. And many people thought all-out was better, and we're going to talk about that in a moment too. 
So let's just keep going here. On the 28th, uh, the Wyatt and Funk tributes continued on Raw, including Seth Rollins putting a fiend plate on his title and Becky Lynch holding up an armband after her awesome Falls Count Anywhere match with Zoe Stark, one of the top five in-ring episodes of WWE TV for the entire year. On the 29th, AEW announced that CM Punk and Jack Perry had both been suspended for the incident at All In. As you said, Tony did uh, acknowledge it the 27th, but the 29th, they were officially suspended two days later. Moving into September, on the 1st, John Cena returned to WWE during the writer's strike. That began a stretch of two months with the company, and he was announced as the host of Payback. On the 2nd of September, four days after being suspended, CM Punk is fired from AEW. It is announced hours before WWE Payback and a collision episode that randomly featured Dennis Rodman for some reason. Tony Khan, before this show began, talks about fearing for his life, he kind of got mocked by fans because of that. And Ace Steel ended up getting fired five days later because he was rehired earlier in the year and paid, apparently even back pay, <laughs> despite being fired for the company for the brawl out incident in 2022. So yeah, CM Punk gets fired. I actually don't know that there's much for us to say about it because we've been talking about it so much on the podcast, but he had to be fired. He should have been fired in 2022. And really, if you go back to that, post-match promo on Hangman that didn't air on television, and then the leaks that came out in Collision after that, it seemed pretty clear that Punk was just unhappy in this company. It wasn't going to work long-term, and we knew it wasn't going to work long-term. Yeah, and this was another one of those kind of paradigm-shifting moments for AW because CM Punk's return was before, was probably the biggest moment in company history to that point, the, the rampage and all that stuff and all the possibilities. And uh, it, it, we will only generally remember CM Punk's run in AW as a disaster. You know, we'll yeah. remember the dog collar match and some good things, but it's largely how he left twice. It's, it's the injuries and the incidents that we'll remember more than anything. That's what we're going to remember from it. Yeah, yeah. No, no question about it. On the second, and this month started hot, September did, we had WWE Payback. Becky and Trish delivered an absolute classic steel cage match. Kevin Owens got a crimson mask hard way as Judgment Day won the undisputed titles from him and Sami Zayn. Uh, Cody Rhodes announces that Jey Uso is joining Raw to a massive pop. That was the culmination of the interfamilial bloodline storyline part of it. And then Shinsuke Nakamura made his full transition to heel on the show. Payback was great. I, what I remember about this, Chris, is we came in saying, you know, this is a B-level show. We can't really expect much out of it. And it totally freaking delivered. And we ate our words coming out of that. Yeah, coming out of SummerSlam and knowing we had a series of B-level pay-per-views coming, it was kind of like, how, how was this going to hold up? And it, it was a it was a mix. You know, this wasn't a... Uh, it was great relative to expectations. Becky and Trish were terrific, as, as we said. A tag team match. Uh, with Kevin Owens and Judgment Day was way hotter than <laughs> had any right to be. And um, it was real, real solid. And it was a good bounce back from a up and down SummerSlam. Yeah, no question. So the third, as mentioned, a week after All In was AEW All Out. And by the way, that schedule is apparently continuing in 2024, I guess for better or worse. A hot and flexible debuted, CJ Perry, I'll say her name this time, debuted in AEW. Brian Danielson stepped in for Punk and has a tremendous strap match with Ricky Starks, even though his broken arm from the Okada match is not completely healed yet. We had Omega and Konosuke Takeshka put on an absolute banger 
on the show. Orange Cassidy and John Moxley had a great match in the main event. This completely exceeded my expectations coming out of All In. And straight up, I thought this was a better, more enjoyable show, not counting like the venue and the pomp and circumstance. But as a wrestling show, I thought All Out was better than All In. It was better wrestling, but to me, it wasn't a better show because pomp and circumstance is part of the whole deal. Mm -hmm. And I, I just kept thinking like, we could have combined this if you had taken some of the stuff you yeah, had on all out. The best of it all. Put it on all in. Take take. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to make it a five six hour show uh, at at Wembley. But you throw in a couple of these things there. You just you make that the tent pole, and it's it's still up there for show of the year. But but um, yeah. Again, this was it was important for AEW to have this good show to bounce back from the CM Punk news and all the negativity and be like, all right, like this company's going to keep going. And I think that's a a a theme of 2023, which was people are counting AW down and out. And here comes Brian Danielson to try to save it. That's a great, that's a great point. They, there was a lot of negativity back around AEW out of all in. And they, I'm not saying they were fully reversed it, but they're like, look, we don't need CM Punk. And here's proof of that. And I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Tony gave some type of raw, raw speech to the, the group of like, Hey, let's go show what we're about. And they proved it with All Out. that They can be just as successful as they were before him, after him. And and, and one more thing, Brian stepping into the role, which I'm glad you noted, you know, he stepped in for Punk in the match, but he also stepped in as somewhat of a locker room leader, even though Punk was in that role and never should have been. If you remember back after Brawl Out, that's what we said on this podcast. You don't need CM Punk because you have Brian Danielson. He can be that popular. He can be... The, the standard bearer for AEW. And now in at the end of 2023, we're finally seeing that. And as we know now, which we didn't at the time, Brian Danielson played a role in the decision to fire CM Punk. Correct. So yes. uh, that's call it leadership, whatever. He he made the decision. He steps in for the match and, and he's a big part of that company. A tough decision for Danielson too, because he owes at least some part of his career and popularity to Punk, given what happened in yep. WWE when Punk left and Brian became yep. super popular. I And that was the genesis of my take. It was, it happened in WWE, just do it again in AEW, and they could have, but they didn't. Um, on the fourth, we had The Miz on Raw cut that epic promo, totally memorable, uh, with a John Cena that no one could see. I just thought it was worth mentioning that here. Gunther also promo made... Of the, promo, promo of the year contender. Promo of the year contender, of the year no award, doubt. But it's right up there. It was incredible. Yeah, segment of the year contender, undoubtedly. Uh, Gunther made Chad Gable daughter cry after retaining the Intercontinental Championship in an absolute banger match. We're still wondering if that's going to come back. It seems like Gable's still involved, but we'll find out. On the fifth, NXT completely works fans with Braun Breaker slamming steel steps onto Von Wagner's skull. On the 11th, Matt Riddle gets pulled from WWE events after an incident at JFK Airport in New York. He would never return to TV and soon be fired in a set of releases we'll talk about. Also on the 11th, Nia Jax actually finally returned to WWE. So she was there in January for just the Royal Rumble. And then eight, nine months later, actually returns on September 11th. I didn't even realize that. I'm saying it. She returned to WWE on September 11th, 9-11. Uh, nowhere near as bad her return as we thought it would be that night. So that's notable. And then on the 12th, maybe the single biggest day of the entire year, just historically, WWE closed its merger with Endeavor to form TKO. Vince McMahon retained most stock 
for any individual in the merger. And he takes the executive chairman role, but gives up ownership of WWE for the first time since 1982. Dana White was made CEO of UFC. Paul Levesque, CCO of WWE, Chief Creative Officer, and Nick Khan, the sole CEO of WWE. Like I said, Chris, a monumental moment in the history of professional wrestling. My undoubted biggest headline of the entire year. We've not truly seen much fallout from this on a day-to-day basis other than creative only improving since then, um, even further than it had already been improved coming out of that Raw after WrestleMania. So it's been nothing but positive for the fan to this point, but nonetheless, just a huge moment in wrestling history, the 12th of September. Has not been good if you're a TKO stockholder, by the way. Oh, uh, fair it, enough. It opened, at, it opened at 103, got to about 105 the next day, or about the next week, dropped heavily the week after that, and it's been basically the same ever since. It's currently at 80, so it's dropped about 21% since the stock opened. And I don't, it's not really year in review because it hasn't really happened, but there have been talks, uh, and Ari Emanuel, the head of Endeavor, has talked about trying to possibly take Endeavor uh, private again. Don't know if it's going to happen or not, but um, yeah. So business wise, I don't know. I mean, there have been some layoffs and you know stuff that happens when you have a merger. The stock has not done much. It didn't didn't improve off of the SmackDown media rights deal, which was kind of the reason the whole merger happened mm-hmm. was because new media rights deals coming. So we'll see what happens with the Raw deal. But uh, yeah, it uh, has not created a uh, market boom mm-hmm. for the company. Maybe they uh, had hoped it would. And we'll see in the future if anything else changes with that. Yeah, part of this was capitalizing on the media rights bubble for both WWE and UFC. But that bubble, I'm not going to say it's popped, Chris, but I would say air is being let out of the balloon a little bit. And WWE, luckily for them, with SmackDown, still jumped and got good value. The expectation is raw. And then UFC are going to as well. But a lot of these big leagues and networks and and, um, brands that are renegotiating new deals they're not getting the increases or they're not going to be getting the increases that they expected. Still more than they had previously, just from a percentage standpoint, not what they expected, but nevertheless, the 12th of September, a huge moment in wrestling history. Later that day on NXT, Becky Lynch completed the Triple Crown for the singles titles and the Women's Grand Slam, winning the NXT Women's Championship and kicking off a great run, spanning Raw and NXT, including excellent matches with Tiffany Stratton. This, of course, coming out of the excellent matches that she had with Zoe Stark and then Trish Stratus. On the 15th, The Rock reveals on Pat McAfee's show that he was locked in to fight Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 39, although it did not ultimately come to pass, and he kept the door open for WrestleMania 40. Just don't really see that happening. And later that day, Chris, on SmackDown, The Rock follows McAfee, making a surprise return to WWE TV. Unscheduled, they happened to be in Colorado, close to Denver, for ESPN's college game day. They were in Boulder, about 45 minutes away, decided to come down. They had to rebook SmackDown to put them on the show. And again, right, we're talking about moment of the year and entrance of the year. You got to put The Rock in a finalist. And it's like, this could win because it was truly electric. But how do you compare this to Bad Bunny? How do you compare this to Sami Zayn? It was still quite a moment nonetheless. Yep, and it's what gave me a half point on my prediction. Um, really cool moment. They did they did a Rock and Cena backstage, which was nice. Um, I thought they used Rock in a good way on this return. They did. On the 19th, Randy Orton was spotted at the WWE Performance Center after being 
out of action for like 14 months to that point. On the 20th, John Moxley got concussed during Dynamite Grand Slam that changed the finish to a match with Ray Phoenix ultimately winning the international title only to drop it soon after because that was not the plan. On the 21st, WWE announced in the morning that it would return to Australia for Elimination Chamber Perth. It also announced in the early afternoon a deal with NBC Universal to air SmackDown on USA Network in fall 2024 with four primetime specials also coming to NXT. I would just say this was a surprise. Like the expectation was Raw would renew, SmackDown would probably end up going somewhere else. But for NBC Universal and, and USA Network to remain with WWE but change brands, surprising. And again, maybe a harbinger of what's to come because maybe they just locked up SmackDown and maybe they're going to plan to get Raw as well. We'll find out. Yep, fascinating. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Raw, uh, but but clearly Fox decided to get out of WWE. They didn't see the return that they wanted. Like you said, the air is kind of coming out of that sports rights bubble. So no more Fox uh, in, uh, in WWE moving forward. So later that same day, after WWE announces these big money deals, they release a bunch of talent, including Riddle, as mentioned earlier, but also Mustafa Ali, Elias, Dolph Ziggler, Shelton Benjamin, those were among the biggest names. Most notable was Ali, just because I mentioned he was getting that new gimmick over. He was set for a title match and was going to win the North American Championship on a big NXT show. And instead, they have to replace him in that match. We'll talk about that in a moment. The timing was odd. Obviously, never great for anyone to lose their jobs. Those 90-day notices of their releases, they just expired. So all of this talent, we're going to start seeing it trickle maybe a little bit of AEW, a little bit of TNA. We're already seeing some independent bookings. Obviously, wish everyone the best here. Yeah, none of it was terribly surprising. Um, Ziggler was the only one that was a true surprise, I would say. Yeah, yeah, because he'd been there forever. A guy who who could always give you a good match and help get somebody over. And curious to see where he pops up, possibly pretty soon. Yep. On the 25th of September, Heels was canceled by Stars. Did you ever watch that show? I think I watched like the first episode. I'm a fan of um, uh, of, of that actor uh, from Arrow and wanted to get into it. I just kind of never got around. I don't have stars, so I kind of would have had yeah. to go out of my way and I just never got around to it. Season one is rough, but you can if you can get past the midway point of season one, it's still worth watching, I would say, for two seasons. So go watch that if you have not. On the 26th, again, two days after, or sorry, uh, five days after the TV deal, Elimination Chamber and all the releases, WWE announces it has signed Jade Cargill to a multi-year deal. Jade goes on. She shows up at the WWE Performance Center for NXT, makes numerous quick TV appearances over the next few weeks. Brian Pillman Jr. also debuted on NXT in a vignette, later to be known as Lexus King. But the Jade Cargill signing, just massive for WWE. You know, they took Cody Rhodes from AEW and then basically a year later signed Jade Cargill, who was the top woman in the company. I'm not saying she's the best women's wrestler in the company. I'm not saying she was my favorite. None of that. But the way she was booked as undefeated for, for like years and what, 60 matches and, and, and the dominant run with the title, uh, even though it was mostly squashes, she was built as a big deal by AEW. She makes the jump to WWE. Now here we are, you know, nearly three full months later, she has not yet had her debut match, but I think we know why that's probably the case. Yeah, and I, I made a comment at the time. Um, it was a real failure of AEW to not turn her into the giant star uh, that we think she can be. Right. 
And I saw some some AEW fans say, like, look, it's a credit to AEW that they got her to the point where WWE sees her as that, which is true, which is fair. Um, I just don't think you want to be seen as building someone up for someone else to take away. And and I don't know the details of the specific offers, but I think we all know that WWE is going to make Jade Cargo feel like a big deal. It just felt like she had plateaued in AEW a long time ago. And um, it's a big loss to lose, to have lost Cody and, and Jade Cargill, two of your foundational players, really, and then have the CM Punk thing happen the way it did. Um, that's why it was kind of a year or two that felt like AEW took a step back. So yeah. who, who are going to be those next people? That's the thing. It's not like it crushed AEW losing her. In fact, you could even say it opened things up because now she's not dominating one part of the women's division. But at the same time, it's not a good look when you spent so much time trying to build her up and make her a big deal. And then she just walks away from your company. Like that's not great for them, obviously. Uh, on the 27th, the next day, the devil attacks Jay White on AEW Dynamite, kicking off what I think is fairly considered one of the most controversial storylines of the year, not in terms of the content being controversial, but in terms of the quality, whether it's good or not. But it started on the 27th. Uh, and then the 30th, to wrap up September, NXT No Mercy, Trick Williams begins his ascension with a North American title win. He would quickly lose it back to Dominic Mysterio on TV. Ilya Dragunov on Carmelo Hayes put on another match of the year contender with Dragunov winning the championship here. And then Becky Lynch and Tiffany Stratton completely delivered, nearly matching the guys in the main event. Becky's stretch, I mentioned it, of Zoe, Trish, and two Tiffany matches. Like there's gonna be a big conversation between Becky and Rhea for Women's Wrestler of the Year. I just think it has to be Becky. I don't wanna tip my hand too much on that, but like Rhea's done great, but Becky's done great outside and inside of the ring. And this was almost, I don't want to say it was her crowning movement because more people saw the Trish match, but this match with Tiffany was exceptional. Yes, I did end up watching that show and it was uh, really good. And I, I was kind of mixed on Becky's NXT run just in terms of like, she's not like, she's kind of just doing a side quest here, but she really did elevate a ton of people that she worked with. And I think it was obviously a, a positive by the end. I would say there's not a single wrestler anywhere in the world who elevated more people in one year than Becky Lynch in terms of main roster and NXT. I could be wrong about that, but I'm talking about elevating people who needed help. I think mm -hmm. she did that more than anyone. Maybe Seth Rollins, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But yeah. but I think she's up there too. Moving into October, really the next day after this, AEW WrestleDream on October 1st. So we got Swerve Hangman 1, banger. Brian Zack Sabre Jr., banger. Edge debuts as the rated R superstar Adam Copeland at the end of the show. I thought that was a bit convoluted the way that came across. Undoubtedly a great show, though. Again, those two matches completely delivered. Uh, two of the best matches of the year. I don't know if they're going to be match of the year uh, conversation matches, but up there. And then Edge in AEW, big moment. Their biggest signing. What, since CM Punk, I would, get, I would say, right? Uh, yeah. It's gotta be for sure. Jay White, you could argue just because of the youth, but in between there, I it did say. it didn't make nearly as big. Edge made a bigger splash because he's Edge. He's Edge. Yeah, that makes you're right. On the second of October, uh, Johnny Gargano returned to WWE TV and DIY reformed with a strong close to Raw. Yet USA Network cut off the show because we had to see the beginning of Fire and Rescue on the seventh. Why? Have, <laughs> why? Why have we talked more about Johnny Gargano on this show so far than LA Knight? I am so confused. We have uh, had a lot of Gargano stuff on here. We're getting I'm to LA Knight. LA Knight's coming up in the rundown because LA Knight. <laughs> they were trying to figure out what the hell do we do with this guy between SummerSlam and uh, 
what eventually happened later uh, this year. So we'll, we'll get to LA Knight. Uh, on the seventh, we had WWE Fastlane, where Cody and Jay shockingly won the tag team titles. Carlito returned months after being re-signed by WWE. Seth Rollins retained the title over Shinsuke Nakamura in another absolute banger match. But this was a forgettable show in historical context. Unforgettable, though, was the press conference with Cody and Jay afterward clearly inebriated having the time of their lives. That's where Yeet took off. It was. Like, like that is kind of where it, it did. It was really funny. WWE leaned into it, uh, put the whole thing up on YouTube afterward. Uh, it was really funny. And it's, it, I wanted them to stay attacking even longer because we connected with them there in that moment more than we ever had. We moved to October 10th and we had one of the headline making days of the entire year. If you want to pick out individual days, this was definitely in the top like 15 or 20, maybe even... I don't think 10. Eh, maybe it was the bottom of the top 10. But October 10th, and this is not why it was a headline making, but I got to attend my first wrestling event since WrestleMania 35. And it I was know. the blown out edition of NXT head to head with AEW, which got preempted from Wednesday on to Tuesday night. So the shows went mano a mano. NXT featured John Cena, Cody Rhodes, Asuka, Paul Heyman, Carmelo Hayes against Braun Breaker, and then The Undertaker at the end of the show. And yes, in the clips package from NXT this Tuesday, right before we taped the show, Silver King was front and center. I got to see myself on that. Uh, but AEW, they countered with a pre-show match with Eddie Kingston, and they also just went with match quality and former WWE stars. Adam Copeland had his first match against Luchasaurus. Swerve and Danielson, banger. Mox and Phoenix, White and Hangman, Soraya and Sheeta and then Jericho and Hobbs. The show was also controversial, given an anti-Semitic inference that was made during a Juice Robinson promo on MJF. NXT ultimately crushed AEW in the ratings, and that led a string of unhinged, tribalistic tweets that, like I said, lasted the day coming in, even a couple days before, and then a couple days coming out of this, all from Tony Khan, spanning everything from cage match ratings to his persecution complex to calling Triple H and Shawn Michaels bald assholes to talking about the rating streaks of Cena and Taker coming to a stop to his mom in the hospital while William Regal asked out of his contract. Neither he nor anyone in AEW addressed the anti-Semitic stuff during this period of time. But Tony, I don't know if he did it on purpose to take heat away from AEW losing this head-to-head -head ratings battle, but his rants and his tribalistic tweets were almost as newsworthy as the fact that NXT put that many major stars on a show and just candidly beat the shit out of AEW in a ratings war. Yeah, this was another one of those moments where you feel like Tony Khan just kind of doesn't have control of things or just doesn't have a steady hand here when it, when it really should, you know, sometimes he handles stuff. Okay. But you know, I think that obviously the brawl out, press conference with CM Punk was one of the low moments for him, probably the low moment for him when you look back at his tenure. This is right up there. Just bizarre. And look, maybe only the people who are online like us really even noticed it, but just bizarre, bizarre stuff he was going on and on about, which like for, for no reason, like he always, a lot of the complaining about stuff only ends up highlighting more AEW losing something. Mm -hmm. Like there was you know, like, like, you don't like you're trying to be the alternative and you're not you're trying to like not do what WWE does. So stop comparing yourself to WWE. You know, it's 
it's it's um AEW fans didn't like like sometimes he riles up the AEW fans, gets them excited. This was not one of those times. This no. was just had everybody confused. Yeah, it was just it was bad on him. It was just a bad look from top to bottom. On the 13th, finally we're getting to him. L A Knight. He was put front and center on SmackDown with John Cena getting his back head to head with Roman Reigns. Nick Aldis also debuted in WWE as the SmackDown general manager. Reigns and Cody Rhodes had the face to face, teasing the WrestleMania match. This was one of the most newsworthy and interesting SmackDowns of the entire year, I thought. On the 16th, Judgment Day regained the tag team titles thanks to Jimmy Uso on Raw, and they still hold them through the end of 2023. Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch also went face-to-face on Raw, teasing a WrestleMania match similar to what they did with Reigns and Rhodes a few days earlier. We don't need to spend time on this, but I loved what they did with Reigns, Rhodes, Ripley, and Lynch. Basically, just in the middle of October saying, by the way, these are your two WrestleMania major matches. Yep, that was cool. It was cool to be like, oh yeah, like we still kind of got this coming. That was a lot of fun. Also the LA night moment, I was in Seattle going to the Washington, Oregon game. I had just gotten into town and my brother texts me, he goes, did you see the LA night opening segment? I was like, no, I did not. And so I watched <laughs> it in my, in my lift on the way to the hotel and I got so fired up watching that thing. I was like, this is this is treating a guy like a star. The camera shot of Roman in the sunglasses, and look, yes. to this point, LA, to this point, LA Knight had already felt like breakout wrestler of the year potential. We talked about him with the Undertaker, Bray Wyatt stuff early in the year. He's getting more and more momentum as it goes on. The SummerSlam pop, yeah. The, the SummerSlam pop. He interrupts Drew and Sheamus mm-hmm. at some point in the spring and gets a big pop in DC. And then you know he's not in the US title picture. What's he doing? Boom. He's with John Cena, putting him over like crazy, head to head with Roman Reigns, and he felt like he belonged there. Yep. It was a very cool build to up to this point. Yeah, no doubt about it. On the 18th, uh, Sting announced his retirement from wrestling on AEW Dynamite, stating that would happen early in 2024. On the 22nd, Impact announced it is rebranding TNA or to TNA beginning in early 2024, which was met, you know, with great acclaim. So that's good for them. On the 24th, Lyra Valkyria beat Becky Lynch at NXT Halloween Havoc to win the women's title. That ended Becky's great but short tenure with the championship and also allowed her to move forward back toward what we believe, of course, is a WrestleMania storyline. On the 25th, WWE announced the first premium live event in Germany, Bash in Berlin for 2024. On the 25th, the same day, Ric Flair debuted in AEW as Tony Khan's special gift for Sting on his retirement tour. I didn't know you could still gift people to other people, but apparently you can in 2023. Uh, this also comes with a Flair, woo, energy sponsorship for AEW. And then on the 28th to wrap up October, MJF defends the AEW title against Kenny Omega on collision and ultimately becomes the longest reigning AEW champion, which is certainly notable. Kicking off- Th- This point, this wait, wait, this point it. here. Go for there it. was a lot of criticism around this. Why are we doing MJ? F versus Kenny Omega abruptly on a collision. Oh, this is going to be the, um, this is going to be to set the record. Like had nobody had like noticed that or planned that. Like, it, it, like you there's really, no promotion for really it. Should've. Yeah. Yeah. You really should have put, well, the problem, Chris, sorry to interrupt you. The problem was that MJF had like 18 challengers and Omega yeah. had not been one of them, but they knew the date was coming up. So he could have been this entire time and they could have been building toward it and they didn't. Yeah. And Kenny Mugga cut a really nice promo afterward off off uh, off air, but it's online. Uh, hyping up MJF, putting him over and everything like that. It was uh, it was really cool. Just wish it would have been kind of a bigger moment. Yeah, no doubt. 
So moving into November on the 4th, Brian Danielson officially challenged Kazuchika Okada to a rematch at Wrestle Kingdom 18. So that's going to be going down right away at the start of 2024. Would not be surprised if Brian and Okada ends up being in the match of the year finalists, just like Osprey and Omega was uh, to kick off uh, 2023. Also on the fourth was WWE Crown Jewel, the final Blood Money in the Sand match for the year. Uh, we had Rollins and McIntyre in an excellent match. Sokoa obliterating Cena. Logan Paul winning the United States Championship over Rey Mysterio with Santos Escobar's help. And then Reigns beating Knight in a pretty good, but I would say too long match. But Knight looked good and got over as a main eventer in this moment. We also had Kyrie Sane return to WWE and align with damage control. Did you have anything that you wanted to mention here? I just remember I had really, really high expectations going in. I think it may have given this an A or A minus expectation grade, but it didn't it didn't get there. No. Everything like happened, but it's just none of it felt all that impactful. Yeah. That's what I remember about that show. This was but also look, a tough look, one look, for yeah, us because it was, Knight, it was I mean, on a big it was yeah. on a big college football Saturday for us too, which made it very that difficult too. for us to watch. That too. But yeah, LA Knight getting a world title shot and holding his own. You, you know, he 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 only lost because of interference, you could say, like Really cool, just again, to see the year he had to crawl up to that moment to get a world title shot on a pay-per-view. Yeah, no question about it. On the 6th, Rollins defended his World Heavyweight Championship against Sami Zayn on a Raw episode that was just eons better, like including match quality, then Crown Jewel, which was two days earlier. That's why I wanted to mention that. And also Survivor Series War Games and the War Games match itself was officially announced on that episode. On the 7th, WWE announced that NXT would move to the CW in 2024 on a five-year deal, putting that brand on broadcast TV and keeping WWE on broadcast TV. But it was the first time NXT, of course, is on broadcast television. Very notable, but we're going to have to see how that plays out in 2024. On the 8th, Mariah May made her debut in AEW coming out of stardom. On the 10th, Santos Escobar and Asuka both turn heel on the same edition of SmackDown. Escobar's has worked tremendously. Asuka's now enhanced damage control as a faction. So even though that show was a little weird, that episode, uh, both those heel turns have been great for WWE. On the 13th, we had an edition of Monday Night Raw. And you'll notice that over the last couple of months in this year in review, we talked about the WWE women a little bit more than we were beforehand. It was on this episode where it became obvious that these post-SummerSlam booking changes that we had seemed to be seeing had actually taken effect. And the women's division had truly improved for the better. Over a one-week span, 80% of the active healthy roster was used on television. And that was a statistic that repeated itself for basically an entire month. And now, as we sit in December, because we don't really have another chance to talk about it, the women's booking is eons better than it was the first half of 2023 and certainly the latter half of 2022. It feels like they're finally being treated, maybe not on par with the men, but closer than they have been since WrestleMania 35, since the women main evented WrestleMania. Yeah, it took about a year really for Triple H being in charge to finally kind of get things right. And and, and and now we're seeing that injuries have hampered a lot of other yes. things, have had to make some changes, but uh, clearly they are being emphasized now more than ever. On the 16th, WWE announced that it will hold its first ever premium live event in France, Backlash in May 2024. Also that day, Ronda Rousey, who had already left WWE, she randomly appeared at a wrestling revolver independent show and 
you know, we thought she was retired from wrestling, but it, she did this as like a favor, but also because it was local and she just wanted to go have fun. So she went back to the ring. On the 17th, SmackDown and Collision went head to head, but neither AEW nor WWE made a big deal out of it. They almost acted as if it didn't happen. They didn't book their shows special. There was no ranting on Twitter. There was nothing. Santos Escobar put on a heel promo clinic, one of the best promos of the year. Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch made amends on TV for the first time since their very public split. Rousey then did the same match that she did at Wrestling Revolver for a taped episode of Ring of Honor after Collision on that same night, the 17th. So just a notable addition of SmackDown on the 17th. Uh, on the 18th, we had AEW Full Gear, Orange, Cassidy, and John Moxley again put on a banger. Feels like it was maybe the third time this year I've said that. The Continental Classic was announced in convoluted fashion. And Will Ospreay officially signed with AEW. We also had Hangman Page and Swerve put on a match of the year contender in a Texas death match. And MJF beat Jay White on one leg after a really odd show-long storyline to create that injury, which was completely unnecessary. But what I'm going to remember from Full Gear is not that. It's Hangman and Swerve. No question about it. Yeah, I'm going to remember because it was maybe the grossest death match I've ever seen. <laughs> it maybe was. the best death match ever happened. But I also thought Orange Mox there was match of the year contender as well. Great story told in that match. And uh, Mox got the win after uh, valiant effort from Orange Cassidy. That That's kind of when he became, uh, really became like a wrestler and not just like a gimmick, even though he'd been had a really good run as champion, he kind of needed those like big match moments where he just, it doesn't feel like you're watching a gimmick wrestler. It feels like you're just watching a wrestler. And then one week after this, on the 25th, we had WWE Survivor Series War Games. Both War Games matches completely delivered. The women, I believe, put on a better match overall than the men. However, the men did have the return of Randy Orton. And then just as the show was about to go off the air, CM Punk returned to WWE to close out Survivor Series War Games in Chicago. A shocking moment. Again, another contender for moment of the year, entrance of the year, whatever you want to call it. Just a stunner. And it capped a, a rebound show. You know, it was it was the main roster uh, premium live event of the year, the final one. And WWE needed a big rebound for that show because... You know, Night of Champions wasn't that strong and um, Fastlane wasn't that strong either. This was a big bounce back. They ended the year on a high note. And CM Punk, obviously, as we're going to talk about in December, has played a big role already and will continue to in 2024. Yeah, the thing we never thought might ever happen again. CM Punk returns to WWE wild, set everything ablaze, highest social media views they've ever gotten out of a bunch of stuff. A bunch of people who don't know, who don't follow wrestling were paying attention to it. Um, my wife was interested. She's generally only ever interested in CM Punk. Um, Dad got her interested in that. And uh, I think back to that moment when he showed up at the Raw in Chicago back in the early part of the year and the seeds that may have been planted for a reunion. And uh, here we are. And now finally moving into December. On the 1st, Mackenzie Mitchell was fired from WWE in a move that felt random and even now still does not make much sense. On the second, WWE was the featured sponsor for the Big 12 championship game, including logos on the field. The Undertaker presented an MVP title to Texas quarterback Quinn Ewers, and Jade Cargill also presented Nelly with one of his own. Backstage, you were there for the Big 12 championship game. Must have been just kind of surreal seeing so much WWE there. 
yeah, on the again, just on the field, talked to Undertaker. He had the cha- he he was on the the podium to present the the championship belt to Quinn Ewers um, at the, at the end. Uh, I asked Sheamus how his shoulder was doing. He said he's still working his way back. Seems to be a bit far away, and uh, yeah, it's just cool. It, it just it was a w- unique thing. Fans had never thought uh, to combine two such things, and the Big Twelve thought it was a lot of cool too. So uh, worked out. Yep, no question. On the fifth, Wes Lee announced that he needs back surgery on NXT, and that ended an excellent year-long run for him that included a long North American title run, but also just fantastic matches on the show. On the eighth, WWE held tribute for the troops, a special edition of SmackDown, with CM Punk delivering a statement promo and Charlotte Flair tearing her ACL in a match against Asuka. We told you this is just a trend of uh, information. I did skip over, of course, CM Punk making his first appearance on Raw, uh, but nevertheless, it was the SmackDown appearance that was immensely notable just because of the quality of the promo compared to the one he got on Raw where he was just quickly kind of shoved off the screen at the end of the episode. Uh, On the ninth, we had NXT deadline. CM Punk showed up to open the program in a surprise moment with Shawn Michaels, Dragon Lee, who we didn't really mention much here, but he got called up to the main roster a couple months earlier than this. He nevertheless won the North American Championship, continues to get featured incredibly well. And Trick Williams went on a wild run to win the Iron Survivor Challenge, and he will be challenging for the NXT title at New Year's Evil to kick off 2024. On the 12th of December, Seth Rollins and CM Punk went face-to-face for the first time on Raw. And real quick, Chris, I just thought this was everything it needed to be and more. Yep. Great stuff between the two of them. We talked about it literally a couple of weeks ago, so it's fresh. For I know. Everybody. I don't want to go into um, it. Yeah. It, it, uh, it was everything we hoped for and clearly setting up something to come. Once yeah. Seth gets past this Drew McIntyre stuff, by the way, go listen to our day one preview, uh, which we recorded last week. So um, more to come. Yep. Uh, Kenny Omega on the 15th, three days later, announced that he's going to be out indefinitely with diverticulitis, which is obviously serious. And we, of course, wish Kenny the best, but it does sound like he's expected to make a full recovery as long as he continues with his plan. That same day, Liv Morgan was arrested for possession of marijuana in Florida. Uh, She is returning to the company. Nothing has been stalled because of this. And certainly anyone with a brain can argue of whether this makes sense. But she was also apparently driving erratically, and that, of course, was problematic, but was not arrested for any type of driving under the influence or anything like that. Also on the 15th, clearly a newsworthy day, AJ Styles returns finally on SmackDown. Also, Kevin Von Erich on AEW Rampage puts Jake Hager in an iron claw later that same night. Tony Khan complains at a press conference for Ring of Honor, which aired the same day as these, about AEW being under constant attack. That capped a year of his ridiculous statements, at least... We hope, because he did trash Big Swole on New Year's Eve a couple years ago. Let's hope we don't have to revisit that. On the 18th, The Miz had perhaps the best singles match of his career. Uh, Also, the KC's won the Women's Tag Team Championships, which of course was notable for the Silver King. As mentioned, on the 21st, fired WWE talent became cleared to wrestle elsewhere. Riddle signed with MLW. Ali announced a world tour with multiple big bookings already. Meanwhile, News came out over a few days span that Bailey, Charlotte Flair, Ray, and Dominic Mysterio have all re-signed with WWE, and there's going to be more talent re-signing with the company at the start of 2024. The 22nd, 
The Iron Claw, the story of the Von Erich family, was released in theaters. Vintage and I have now both seen this film, and we will be discussing our review of it at some point early in 2024. We want to give you all an opportunity to watch it for yourself if you have not already. Also on the 22nd, Hiroshi Tanahashi was named president of New Japan Pro Wrestling in a surprise move that will have immediate reverberations at Wrestle Kingdom to start 2024, but certainly as the entirety of the next year plays out. Huge news over in New Japan. I mentioned this at the start of the show, Chris, with Shinsuke Nakamura wrestling for pro wrestling Noah on January 1st. Well, on the 23rd and 24th of December, it was teased and then announced that WWE is going to allow Charlie Dempsey, who's currently in NXT and the son of William Regal, to go to all Japan and wrestle for the Triple Crown title, which is just absolutely wild. So two WWE contracted talents. Actually, let me correct that. Three, because we also had Carl Anderson wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom. Three different WWE contracted talents will wrestle matches for different Japanese promotions. Two of those matches happening in 2023 and one, of course, coming up already in 2024. And lastly, we wrap up this year in review with December 26th, CM Punk returning to the ring for WWE, wrestling his first match in nearly 10 years and doing it at a Madison Square Garden house show. Plenty of clips have been online. Looks like a good time was had by all. So a lot of minor news items, Chris, in this month of December, but nevertheless, a newsworthy end to 2023. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, whether this was more newsy or not than 2022, hard to say. I think this had much more news in the ring. I mean, we talk about the storylines, the mm-hmm. injuries, the promos, the entrances, the returns, like just it was a heck of a year for stuff happening in the ring in the ring. That's why this podcast ended up going so long because it was like, well, you can't you can't really mention this person not you can't forget this person turning heel or this person doing that. So it's just, there was a lot. So if you've made it this far through the podcast, we thank you. (laughs) Um, It, it, it it was definitely a lot to get through. It was. And uh, just we've gone through most of the year, all of 2023 feeling happy about pretty much every. Yeah. Wrestling is WWE television is real solid. AEW's pretty good. Most of the time, like it's, it's really wasn't a really, really good year of just pro wrestling. Like there was really not that much to be all that upset about. Yeah, here we started the show and I'm like, hey, we're gonna do this expeditiously. We went two and a half hours last year. We're gonna wrap this up as quick as we can. And we went longer. So (laughs) that's just how it works. You're right though. I don't know that this was necessarily more newsworthy. I think there was just more to discuss this year because of the way things transpired. We had WrestleMania, Vince McMahon, The Sale, CM Punk. That is a lot to talk about. And I hope we did 2023 justice, but Chris, We got to wrap up this show just like we began it with our predictions for 2024. We're going to do this exactly the same way as we did it last year. You and I, we're going to go one for one. So each of us has three predictions for the year ahead. And a year from now, in our 2024 year in review, we'll double back and see who was right, which of us deserves, and who was wrong, which of us deserves. So go ahead. What is your first Prediction for professional wrestling in the year of our Lord, 2024. Raw will stay on USA Network and stay on Mondays in the new TV deal. I think I think NBC USA going with SmackDown first 
was notable for a lot of reasons. Maybe they're unsure about Raw. There's been a lot of talk about moving Raw potentially, especially as ESPN is potentially adding more Monday Night Football games, more doubleheaders. That mm-hmm. is a, a could be a reason to move it off of that. But I think NBC USA, they will ultimately be the ones to get Raw again, pro- possibly because NBC does not get NBA uh, as they go for those rights. And I think it'll ultimately stay on Mondays. I don't think you moving Monday Night Raw is going to be tough because people are used to that cadence every year. Monday night, I'm going to mm-hmm. watch wrestling. You know, I don't know if moving it will work. I don't think it's going to go to a streamer and Amazon or something like that. I think that'd be a bad move. Stays on USA, stays on Monday and maybe a bit of an upset. I love this prediction just because it's a little bit out there, like based on what people are saying, but it's totally plausible. And I actually agree in, in a large sense. Like, I think it's going to be on FX or USA Network. And moving off Mondays, like I just don't think the gamble is worthwhile. Though, to your point, the NFL is dominating Mondays. They're adding double headers. They're doing more weeks. There's a playoff game. I think a wildcard game now on Monday. Also this year, the college football playoff semifinals and championship next year, there's going to be an expanded playoff. Who knows if some of those games fall on Mondays as well. So now, instead of it being four straight months, WWE is looking at like five, maybe five and a half months of the year where their ratings are cannibalized, not cannibalized, that's the wrong word, but where their ratings are attacked, under attack, uh, by the NFL and by football. And it's like, why wouldn't you move off to Tuesday? But the idea of it staying under NBC Universal, which already has the WWE Network content on Peacock, it just makes way too much sense to be with one brand, but WWE wants to get as much money as possible. We will find Mm -hmm. out. I'm going to Give you a very similar prediction, actually, because this was one of my three. AEW remains with Warner Brothers Discovery for all of its content, and it actually finally gets a streaming deal on Max. They're doing the Bleacher Report thing over there. I think they're going to put all the pay-per-views, and I think they're going to put all the reruns of the shows on Max in 2024. Yes, I, I think people are making too much of the WWE, WBD type of conversations that are or are not happening. I don't know. More than anything, um, I just I want the AW pay-per-views to be on max. I can't be shelling out this money for. I, I can't do $50 a month. It's you you got to do it. Got to do it. Yeah, they, they got to make that change. Especially because Max is now showing CNN. They're sh- like they're putting everything they have on Max now. It makes all the sense in the world to get a. They also have that Bleacher Report package that you have to pay. Like right now, it's free if you're a subscriber, yes. but eventually you're going to have to pay for it. So if I pay for that Bleacher Report thing, I want to be able to get AEW pay-per-views, even if you tell me it's another $10 per pay-per-view. That's fine, but you know that's like $25 more a max subscriber would have to pay monthly for AEW. They have avenues to do it, and I think they're going to capitalize on it. So that's why that is my prediction. Chris, what is your second prediction for 2024? Adam Cole wins the AEW championship. Yeah. We haven't, Adam Cole has not been, he's been out for a long time, lots of injuries, but if there's one thing we know about Tony Khan, it's that he sticks to his original booking decision. <laughs> yes, he does. I think I think Adam Cole was supposed to win the AEW title at, in 2023 at some point. Could not happen. He will be the one to take it off of MJF in 2024, which I think, assuming he doesn't get hurt again, is the right move. They've kept that storyline together. Um, and, and I think Adam Cole finally gets healthy, wins the title. I agree that he wins the title. I agree it happens in 2024. I don't know that I agree that it, he takes it off MJF. He should. I guess I didn't I didn't make that part of my prediction initially. I just kind of said it. 
I'm, I'm uh, for the record, I'm going to the MJF part, not part of the. official. Oh, credit. come on. You got to go with the whole way, at least because you'll still get partial credit. Mm. It well, makes the most well, sense by far for him to beat MJF for the title. Yeah, I'll stick with it. I'll stick with MJF then. Like I roped you into getting half credit next year. All right. That's very yeah. good. Good job by me on that one. Uh, I'm going to give you a little counter there. I think at least four people will hold the WWE championship this year, the one that is currently held by Roman Reigns. So meaning four. Yeah. So I think Roman Reigns loses the title at WrestleMania to Cody Rhodes. That's not part of my prediction, but I think that is, so that's two because Reigns has Mm -hmm. it. And then I think before the end of the year, at least two more people hold the WWE championship. Now, if Cody loses it and gets it back, does that count? Or are you counting four separate people? Ooh, great question. I'm saying four separate people. I'll go out on the limb and say four separate people. What is your okay. third prediction? Look, oh, after sorry. a long after a long period of every belt having like the new record, the Intercontinental, Roman's belt, the longest women's champion, I think Bianca had like, maybe that's how Triple H changes it up. Maybe he goes back to not hot potato, but some more changes. It'd be an interesting change after the last couple of years. Yeah. I'd be open to it. I'm certainly taking into account I, the fact that Damian Priest has, you know, the briefcase, although that could be, yeah. you know, that could be the World Heavyweight yeah. Championship, obviously, but I'm taking that's that true. into account. I'm taking other things into account. Uh, I just think it makes a lot of sense. Chris, what is your third prediction for 2024? CM Punk makes it through the year without getting suspended in WWE. Love it. Um, I think it's, well, let me ask you this. Without getting look, suspended look, look, or look, fired. He's, look, he, he's been suspended the last two years. But wait, like, let's, be clear, but let's be clear. But let's be clear. But But we should also put a caveat or getting fired. No, well, sure. I mean, I assume because <laughs> you can get fired without getting suspended, and you could technically be right, but actually be wrong. Yes, yeah. I, I'm. I'm counting fired underneath that. I'm basically saying CM Punk makes it through the year without getting punished as a good boy. Yeah, he doesn't get in trouble. He really seems to be on his absolute best behavior does. right now, and I think he's going to be able to hold that through the year. It's 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 a, like it's a bit of a bold prediction. Again, he's been suspended and or fired I know. for two years in a row. So, so like the it, it's going against the momentum. But I just think for what we've seen so far from him, uh, perhaps almost despite AEW, perhaps he will continue to stay on his best behavior. Well, I think that's asking a, lot, asking a lot from him. I think that's a huge part of the motivation, to be honest with you. Also, the fact that it's his last chance. You know what I mean? But um, so yeah. I think that's probably going to come true. I don't know that that's as far out on the limb as you think it is. But it is a good prediction for the year, no question. And my final prediction is that Mercedes Rondo, Mercedes Monet, Sasha Banks returns to WWE as early as next month, as early as January, as Ooh. late as WrestleMania, but at some point in 2024. Oh, wait, so you're just just saying she returns at some point in 2024? Yeah, but I'm saying as early as January, as late as WrestleMania. Is that part of the prediction? Sure. So you're saying sure. she returns by WrestleMania? Is that the prediction? Yeah, I'm saying as early as January, as late as WrestleMania. Sure. That is my prediction. Well, it's almost January. So yes, it's going to be before WrestleMania then at some point. Is yeah, before before the end of WrestleMania. Yes. Or, okay. or I mean, I'll, I'll actually, I'll extend it. You want, a, you want a specific prediction? Sasha Banks returns to WWE before the Tuesday after WrestleMania. How about that? Yeah, that works. I, I think that's a good... Uh, put a little something on there so it's yeah. not just she returns because I fine. think that'd be not as out there so I, I like it I, let I me put it this way to... it'd be, it, unless unless she like actually goes back to Japan and then comes back at like SummerSlam I don't know why she would miss if she was going to return 
the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania wouldn't really make sense. So yeah, but, and look, yeah. look, we we know her and Triple H generally seem to be on good terms, and, they do. and with the way things are going with the women's division, Bailey resigning, Charlotte resigning, like it it it, it makes sense. She also we'll on Christmas. She also on Christmas tweeted, "Happy, happy holidays." Vertically, so Triple H. Mm-hmm. All I mm-hmm. want is Monet. So maybe there's a little mm-hmm. bit of a tease there. So. Well, for we, for we didn't. We should have mentioned that too. But yeah, there you go. There you go. So that, folks, wraps up our 2023 year in review. What an episode it was. We really ran through everything over the last 12 months, and we were absolutely thrilled to bring it to you. On the way out of this show, I want to give you our schedule for the remainder of the year and the start of. 2024. I want to make sure we're all completely on the same page. On the 28th, we will have your AEW World's End Ultimate Preview along with your NXT episode. We'll have AEW World's End Instant Analysis on the 30th. That will be the final show of 2023. January 2nd, 2024, we'll be back with your WWE Day 1 and news breakdown for what's been going on over the last week because WWE is in best of episodes this week. On the 4th, we will have your AEW NXT show. And on January 9th, we will bring you the next special edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. It is the 2023 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. So do not forget, nominations are almost closed. Be sure to visit us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Get those final nominations in and be sure to vote in the 2023 Getting Over Awards a.k.a. The Meaties. Before voting closes next week. Again, you can find all of that on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. That is also where you can find episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It's where you can send tweets and DMs into us that we will read and answer here on the show. On the way out, let me hit you with a bunch of other reminders. First, that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about So leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. Take a little extra time, leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well for $5 a month, 50 for the entire year. You can become official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get exclusive news posts and bonus audio all year long. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. And lastly, do not forget to vote for getting over for best wrestling podcast in the 2023 sports podcast awards. Again, you can find the link to vote in our Twitter profile at getting overcast. It has been a hell of a year and we're going to kick off 2024 with an absolute bang. I greatly appreciate vintage Chris Vanini for being along for the ride once again for an entire calendar year. And I thank all of you for listening to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We have so much in store for you next year. I'm extremely excited and nothing bigger to kick off the year than the road to the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania for vintage Chris Vanini. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.